My name is Malcolm Callender. And I'm Will Aaron Freund. And we realize that this is our first episode since Thanksgiving. So we hope you all had a very restful, very safe holiday. And also with Christmas coming up too, we hope everything is swell for that. You guys are safe, happy, and healthy. And we have an amazing guest for you all tonight. Yes. Tonight we have actor and yes, yeah, yeah. actor and writer Emmy Gomez. Um, very special human being. Oh, I love you. Yeah, welcome, welcome on this Saturday night. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. Honestly. Of course, of course. I'm super excited to be here. So yeah. Yeah. Woo. Can we can we start with how like you two met? Because I know like I didn't I didn't meet. Her. I met her through you. So, <laughs> yeah. Where do you want to start off? Sure. Yeah. So Emmy and I actually met a couple weeks ago on a film set um we were doing a film called dog food uh shout out vincent, Ooh, uh, vincent really special you. young director we got to work with awesome. um uh and and yeah we we were talking and and yeah, and, 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 well, <laughs> I like the usual stuff. We accidentally drove. It, this is what actually happened. So we were on set, and we were supposed to be on call. At, I think it was like at three or something like that. The assistant director told us we had to be on set at three. Yeah, and so we got in the car, and we ended up having like an hour drive where we were just talking we all get to the set and they're like we actually don't need you until like five go back so <laughs> yeah. we're just like honestly it was so worth it we had the best talk yeah. we don't yeah, even yeah. care and yeah. that usually so, yeah. happens on like film sets or whatever yeah it was awesome it was like camp they were so great i was really really glad to be there every single person on that set was amazing from like the cast the crew it was insane and that so, was your first time acting right yes it was like no way. it was my first time ever being on like a film set i had done like some church plays and stuff like that where it wasn't anything filmed or anything mm. even like uh, remotely close to what we were doing as far as like intensity or even just like the content of what we were recording so um, so let's yeah. let's like backtrack sure. where, where did you grow up <laughs> yeah uh grew up in the bx Woo! Like, yeah. home of hip-hop Jenny yeah. from the block Boogie and down. me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I grew up in the Bronx, uh, actually across the street from the zoo. Which, yeah. Yeah, yeah so like, you're really like, you're only like 10 minutes away from me. That's so Yeah, that's, it's so that's weird, so right? Like we were just talking about that and I'm yeah. like, holy crap, that's such a small Because I, I walked to the zoo like just mm -hmm. whenever. Like. Yeah, no, yeah. I used to, whenever we had, uh, I went to, I don't know if you lived there your whole life or not mm -hmm. but i actually went to the mohegan school which is like okay uh, right there's 67 um and i love that school it was like shout out to all those teachers <laughs> um and we would like whenever we would have a field trip to the zoo we would 
go and on the way back i would be like mom mom don't mom don't make me go back mom yeah, yeah. mom let's go home we're right here so she'd be like we're gonna sign her out for the day and then we just go oh, home. thank like, god yeah, this is the best. yeah so yeah but i love those days those are the best but um yeah so i grew up in the bronx uh loved it there um mm. i have two little sisters and mm-hmm. a brother and then we moved to Staten Island. And I know you were asking me earlier, yeah. like, how the hell like, did that even Staten Island. <laughs> yeah, um, same. Still trying to figure that out. <laughs> but um, my mom, honestly, she was over the Bronx. And I think it, it came down to there was, um, I remember very vividly this day where we were coming out of our little uh, lobby, I guess you could call it, or whatever, from the building that we lived yeah, in. Yeah, it's a, yeah. <laughs> I don't know to call it's those like, things yeah, either. I, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> that's the, like it's the first that floor. Like piss the way you get to the freaking It's the elevator. first floor, but it's not like the lobby. <laughs> right, exactly. It's where all the problems happen. Yeah. Where everything is going down. And some dude, I guess, was like trying to sell a bag of dope over like my head. Uh-huh. And my mom like fucking lost it. And she was like, no, we need to get my children yeah, yeah, out, we're of out of here. Hell, and blah, blah, blah. And like, lo and behold, obviously, like that was really just like foreshadowing for the the rest of my life but um yeah so we moved to staten island um sorry uh staten island was great i went to high school there curtis mm-hmm. high school warriors Woo-hoo. <laughs> um, <laughs> honestly i loved my high school experience my school was like um really good at giving you a bunch of options of mm, shit to do right. which i love am i allowed to curse sorry i just oh, yeah. <laughs> You're definitely not the first guest. To <laughs> everyone asks. Like, oh, yeah, sorry. I'm pretty sure everyone asks that. <laughs> but yeah, um, we should I was say just, no the next. Time. I know. I was like, no, absolutely not. Sorry, what <laughs> <laughs> happened again? Uh, but yeah, no, uh, it was it was cool. I loved it because it gave me the opportunity to study film. I was able to like, I fell in love with stuff like that, like writing. And I yeah, wrote my yeah, first yeah. script in high school where I was oh, like, yeah, oh, yeah. What this. what kind of crowd were you into? Were, uh, did, were you like a floater? Um, like, probably. I guess that's what I would be called. Um, I was in journalism. I was again a writer, so it was yeah, like yeah, always yeah. my thing. Right. Um, so I was really big with like the yearbook committee, and like because we did that, yeah. I had like friends in the football team and on the cheerleading squad, or like in the wrestling like random friends that just wanted me to take their picture or like make sure that they were included in the yearbook or whatever but really i was such a loner because i was i wasn't allowed to really have friends because again i grew up like super sheltered and Mm -hmm. like even though i grew up in the bronx and with all this stuff i grew up in a really abusive like home as far as like sexually abusive Mm -hmm. my stepfather was like a psycho really controlling physically emotionally mentally abusive in like every way you can imagine And so he didn't really let us go out or, like, have friends really outside of the school. And he raised you? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. From the time I was five until I was 18. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He he was in my life. Yeah. Um, And so you couldn't go out? Yeah, no. It was so weird. He was, like, psycho. Yeah. And then would you say uh writing or like acting or just being creative somehow was your escape from that lifestyle oh a hundred percent yeah a hundred percent that's i think that's why i like clung to writing so much yeah yeah there would even be times where it would be my escape so to speak like this Mm -hmm. was just how i would say the things that i couldn't tell my mom or i couldn't tell the other people that were around me so i would write these little like short scripts about this girl who was being raped or that got like date raped at a party or something like that and 
people would always, my mom would be like, you're so dark, Emily. Oh, your work is also like, why are you always so like, and she never How really. How old were you when you were like, like I was, freshman, Well, sophomore? this was like, I was always writing really, but I yeah. started really getting into like script writing when I was in high school because yeah. that was when I started film classes. <laughs> my 15 year old daughter. So yeah, my, my mom, I'm like talking about this girl who's like, she, shame mm. is her name or like something like mm. that. I had the title for one of them and I remembered it being like really depressing, but for me, it was almost like a release like it was yeah, like for sure did your mom know um no she didn't nobody knew um no one had ever asked me at least until my boyfriend when i was 18 years old uh i was never allowed again to date or anything like that and the way like things are weird <laughs> so yeah. growing up i grew up with um this friend of mine, Jose, who was like a really close friend of the family. And my grandmother had three kids close in age to my sisters and I. Mm -hmm. So my uncles were basically my brothers. Like we grew up together. Mm -hmm. They literally lived on Honeywell, like a couple blocks away from us. So mm -hmm. we were always together. Excuse me. <clears throat> but um, yeah, so it was always us. And Jose was very, very close with the family. So mm -hmm. When I turned 16, he had, like, a crush on me, and I remember him, like, buying a, a necklace for me for my 16th birthday mm -hmm. and telling my mom, like, oh, I want her to be my girlfriend one day. And my mom was like, yeah, I keep dreaming. <laughs> then when I turned 18, I guess he was persistent and asked to be my boyfriend, and my mom was like, you know, you should let her have a boyfriend. And my stepfather, like, freaking flipped. He lost it. He was like, absolutely fucking yeah. not. We will not have this in my household. So I wasn't allowed to have a boyfriend either, which was fine because, honestly, I didn't really care <laughs> For oh, anything. Yeah, I, <laughs> I was like, I was always in my own little world yeah. and like music and writing, and I didn't really care about any of that. Um, and then I like started taking phone calls from this dude and we started talking mm -hmm. and like we started developing a relationship mm -hmm. and it was a long distance relationship he lived in the Bronx and at this point we were already in PA because we had moved from like Staten Island to PA yeah. to like oh why bouncing. did you move um my mom well oh so this is oh right we were talking about this outside and I forgot sorry <laughs> Um, so I was born with something called congenital hip dysplasia, what? which for anyone listening that is not a medical scientist, it is basically when your hip is not in the socket, which is yeah. boring. It so, sounds so boring when you say it like that. Like, yeah. Well, no. And it's what I told you this outside. What I found interesting about it was it's not like it was ever in the socket and right. it slipped out. It just never was developed yeah, to like the point it just, where it, wasn't it was complete. In, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it slipped out or something like at some point while I was mm. in there and like the baking process. Yeah, yeah. But when I once I was out, it was never in. <laughs> that sounds so funny. <laughs> but yeah, basically it was and never you were, in. And you were the, the only one. Yeah. I, and you're the oldest too. So I it must be like, wow. Guy. Honestly, yeah. There's just, I, my life is just like a shit show. <laughs> I was like from birth. I knew it was going to be like a bunch of missteps. It was just going to be a lot. Things were going to be off, but it was when, fine. That's that. I, that's actually really interesting to me. When did you? When did you realize that? You know, to, to that things were not right or things were going downhill. You know, for my hip, you mean, or like no, in general, like, you, like you, my you, life. You spoke, <laughs> you, you spoke generally about your life just there, so I'm just yeah. curious about like, you know, I feel like we all have this moment 
um, in our life where we realize life isn't as romantic as we think it is yeah. or as like the teachers in our pre-k make it out to be or the, right. the characters on television that like all the disney princesses right lied to right you. That, yeah that, that kind of this shit is real you yeah. know and, and it, it's a lot of suffering out there do, do you rem- i don't know what you're talking about because <laughs> i still have not come to that realization yet no um <laughs> i think See, it's it's weird for me because, like, I'm very I, – I like to say all the time, like, I'm extremely immature, right? I'm 32 years old, and I act like I'm probably 16. God bless. We need more of that, no, to be honest, because you're a positive I, I turned 20. I turned 20, uh, like, two months ago, maybe a month ago, and it's like, I still feel like I'm five years it's old. Like, honestly, I love that, and I think that that's – We need more of that. Those are the best people or yeah. the people that are just, like – young hearted and they don't I feel like they have to fit into what this idea of adulthood is supposed to look like or like who said you have to lose your joy when you grow up no no yes yes, and then maturity is chronologically or exactly like why do you feel like the older that you get the more miserable you have to be I don't if anything you've seen more life you should be more in love with the beauty that is life Mm. the older that you get because it's like yeah the reality is is that Things aren't always romantically beautiful, but they're always beautiful. Of course, and, of course. And I think that that's, that's what it comes down to, right? Like, it's even though things might not be what we expected them to be, right? Because my life sure as fuck was not. <laughs> but yeah, It's I think, never like that, really. Right. <laughs> and I think that it comes down to, like, really embracing the fact that it's never going to be that way, mm-hmm. right? Things yeah. are very rarely yeah. the way yeah. that we see them in our head. Sometimes they're, they exceed those expectations and sometimes they don't. But regardless, they're very rarely the way that we see it in our head. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it comes down to like, why do we put so much pressure and stress and all of that stuff on ourselves to be or to make it like something mm-hmm. that it really isn't going to be that anyway. Like it can Mm -hmm. be great. And Mm -hmm. I'm not saying like, don't go into something with like your whole heart or like, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. let's say for example, like with today, I was telling, well, I was like super nervous to come here. Really? So nervous to come here. And I think (laughs) I mentioned this to you outside too, because I'm like, when it comes to acting again, like I can be Uh, someone else. Like that's easy. Like someone already told me who I'm supposed to be before I get in that room. Mm -hmm. But like when it's me, it's like, fuck, this is me. Like, I don't know how, like, I don't know what page to turn to in this fucking mess of a book today. Like that kind of a deal. And I don't know. I was like super nervous. I'm like, I'm going to show up and they're going to be like, yo, what'd you get this? (laughs) And literally my sister before I left was like, Emily, please don't talk the whole fucking time. Make sure that you give the guys like an opportunity to say something. This is about you. (laughs) This is about you. I mean, it's our show, but it's like, we're here for you. We're here for you. I was like mad nervous and I was like, fuck, I don't know how to stop talking. Yeah, no, I love it. (laughs) But, um, but yeah, no, I, I'm definitely excited that I, I made it here and I'm glad that I like, we were we were talking about crippling anxiety, right? And like mm-hmm. how sometimes it you get in your head so much about something mm-hmm. that you're just like, oh well, fuck it, and you don't even give yourself the opportunity to see if you could or to see if yeah. what might be or what you know what I mean. And half the time we get so caught up in fear, we get so caught up in. Like that we can imagine, right? We can imagine the worst possible scenario. But how often do we fucking imagine the best case scenario mm-hmm. and say that's mm-hmm. what's going to happen, mm-hmm. right? Like more often than not, people are always like, oh, worst case scenario, this is what's going to happen. 
I'm like, okay, yeah, worst case scenario, sure, but like, why the fuck is that all you're thinking yeah, about? I mean, <laughs> it's just it's just easier to rely on the negative because it's closer right. and it's more manageable. Yeah. Instead right. of actually because uh, you can disassociate being when you're that resilient on and like actually yeah. conquering something. Don't get me wrong; it's all easy to say when it is not your situation, right? Uh, like hundred and ten percent. Because I know for a fact that like, and my mom makes fun of me all the time because she's like, whenever anyone is going through something, they know they can go to you and get like great advice mm. or they're going to get somebody who's going to like have their head on their shoulder mm. listen do you and believe be, her i believe that as far as like for other people but then it's like <laughs> i know that when it comes to myself yeah. like i'll be like spiraling in my fucking room going nuts like completely like i have no idea how to handle yeah. this what do i do or like where do i go what's and i all of a sudden don't have words or my brain doesn't work or it's just not like so it's frustrating to be in that zone and I'm actively trying to get myself to be like, hey, you don't have to be this, this, and this, and this to be a woman, right? Mm -hmm. Or to be an adult or to be, you can just be yourself and whatever the fuck that is, right? Because I'm still figuring it out. Like, I don't think anybody's ever going to really fully say, oh, I have my life fully figured out. If they say that, they're a Bullshit. fucking liar. Yeah. It's like, okay. <laughs> it's like, and cool. even if they yeah. do have everything together, it's like, you probably don't even want to hang out with them. They're so horrible. <laughs> like, I don't know. I just feel like, for me, I'm definitely, I'm trying to actively stay the course of being positive and staying away from, like, things that trigger my anxiety or my depression or things like that. Because, yeah, it, like I said, it wasn't an easy road, I guess. Yeah. So we kind of have to. Let's backtrack a little. Yeah, sorry. Um, no, 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 not at all. I'm just, I'm just super interested in, like, how, you, how you've came to these realizations, you know? Yeah. Um, so, like, in high school, uh, how did you find writing? Why writing? I, I found writing very early on, actually. Uh, I wrote my first poem in first grade. Wow. Yeah. Um, I... Again, it was always for me, that was like an escape. That was my thing. Being It was home, something you can control. Yeah, 100%. And being home wasn't yeah. fun for me, right? Like after yeah. a while, being home was kind of scary or it was kind of like daunting to be around the people that were in my home yeah. because I couldn't be myself fully. At least I've never felt like I really could be. I couldn't tell my mom what was going on behind closed doors that my stepfather was doing. And then at the same time, I had to pretend like I was... You know, the good girl, straight A student that's got it all mm. together, that's not trying to rock the boat, that's not trying to cause any friction in the household, like that yeah. kind of a deal. But in my head, I was like, <laughs> like, it just didn't feel right ever. Mm -hmm. um, um, so writing, that was like my thing. I would write all the time. Um, and then when I got to high school, it was more the film that mm. like kind of took over mm -hmm. for me. I started taking film classes and I loved it. I loved how you could tell a story. And it could be the same story, right? Mm -hmm. But with different angles, with different lights, with different... You could tell the story in such a different way, like hit a different string kind of a deal. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was so beautiful. I don't know why. I just was like obsessed Do you remember some of the uh, poems or stories that in high school you were thinking about in a cinematographic um, way? Yeah. I mean... 
it's gonna sound weird because we have like the same name but i was always very drawn to emily dickinson poems like mm. as far as like her writing and people would make fun of me because she was very dark right like she was always like talking about death or yeah. like something else and again i related heavily to that because as a teenager i was like very emo inside and you would never be able to tell on the outside but in the inside i was like uh like black hair and like, you couldn't see my eyeballs mm. or like <laughs> but um yeah so i i couldn't not express myself through writing i felt like that was the easiest way yeah. to sit down get myself to say everything that i had in my head on a piece of paper without anybody telling me hey stop yeah. like don't say that or don't like just write it all down and then once it was out it was out like it was already like eh, bangkok has it now like there's really <laughs> nothing you can do now and what's dope to me is um when I hear you speak, you make it seem like it's always been truth for you. Like, that's yeah. the only thing you know how to write is yeah. yourself. Honestly, it sounds so weird, but I, I, I feel like that's exactly it. It yeah, sounds yeah. really weird, but yeah, like, I, I'll talk to my mom about it, right? Because, like, my mom and I now have gotten very, very close growing mm -hmm. up. And after a while with everything with my stepdad, like, I blamed her for a while for a lot of that stuff. And even though she didn't know... I still was like, it was hard for me, like as a kid, to be like, damn, the one person I needed, my mom. Yeah. Like, you know, she didn't help me or she didn't know or she didn't even notice or that kind of a deal. And I can't blame my mom for that. She was in so much of her own things, and my stepfather was a psycho and manipulative and crazy. When and did it all, all when did that all that stuff start? Um, when I was nine, I my aunt was actually giving birth. Mm -hmm. um so my cousin's birthday um he my mom went to the hospital to go be with my grand my aunt and my grandmother and all of them were there and my stepfather was at the house this was the first time that we were ever like left alone with him mm -hmm. and i remembered it was raining that night and i got like really scared um and like i ended up going to my mom's bed thinking she was there and she wasn't it was my stepfather and he was like, oh, you know, like, you can stay here. It's fine. And I was nine. I didn't think anything of it. I was just scared. Um, Were you comfortable with him as your yeah, stepdad like, at that it point was, in your It was life? so weird because even, even after, like, he, this night, right, where things started, it was almost as if, like, I mentally, and I still, like, think to, to, to this day, this is probably, like, why I have a lot of the mental issues I have, but I kind of compartmentalized everything mm -hmm. and my stepfather being one of those main things that I did compartmentalize. So he was from the daylight hours. He was a dad, right? Mm -hmm. Like fully mm -hmm. a dad. Mm -hmm. He was a great dad. And then it was like at night, there was like this switch where he was a mm -hmm. different person. He was like this monster, almost like this scary, like I didn't want to be, I was like terrified but what do you think that switch what was it alcohol was it what was that switch weird. about honestly to this day like my mom will say she doesn't know or doesn't think anything i think i suffered obviously and you know this because we spoke about this but like i suffered with a really bad addiction shortly after everything happened with like my stepdad and going through like everything came out and blew up and i just didn't know what to do or how to handle it and i just like swan dove into illegal activity <laughs> um mm, yeah. and, and it's like a part of me isn't surprised <laughs> right, really, like, because <laughs> you were what, 18 when this happened um yeah. by, the, by this point yeah, yeah yeah so i was around 18 and like it's 
see like before again grew up sheltered like didn't really do mm-hmm. much of anything like tried weed a couple of times but that was like really anything and mm-hmm. then like full on heroin addiction like <laughs> like swan dive mm-hmm. like into it and don't get me wrong it's not like I'm thank god I'm, I've been clean and sober for like three years so Ooh. I'm not even like thinking yeah. of that anymore but again to know that from going from nothing to I was like I need the worst that you got like give me mm-hmm. all you got kind of a deal and um yeah, that was how I kind of coped with it because yeah. writing for a while was only making me remember, mm. right? And it it got to a point where it was like I didn't want to remember it anymore, wanna, right? Yeah. Because it was like all I could do was remember and I couldn't forget anymore and I just wanted to forget now. Like now I was like, all right, I'm so fucking done with remembering all of this bad shit. I don't want to remember any of it anymore. Mm. I just want to forget. And that's where the drugs came in and it was like I again swan dove into it where it was like from nothing doing maybe smoking one joint with my friends <laughs> to like now I have a full on fucking heroin addiction and I'm going through all this shit and I don't even know how to face my family or how to like so my family and I had like huge falling out and I was on the streets I was living in hotels and all kinds of crazy stuff and what were you doing for money? I was serving um, for a lot of the time. It got to a point where I was actually serving in one of those hotels. Um, no way. Yeah. And so I was like serving as basically like they wouldn't even pay me. It was just kind of like, oh, yeah, I'll make sure people who come into your restaurant, their order gets taken yeah. and you'll make sure I don't have to pay for my room. Like that kind of a yeah, deal. Yeah. So it was like, yeah, I'll wash your back, you wash mine. Mm-hmm. And the owner would let me stay there with my boyfriend at the time, who was also, like, heavy into drugs. And it was just bad. It was, like, a bad combination of shit. Like, yeah, it was yeah, just, yeah, like, yeah. that was, like, hell, that little hotel that we lived in. It was definitely bad. So this was, like, early 20s? Uh, um, This was, like, late 20s, actually. Oh, no way. Well, yeah, like, mid to late 20s. Because, again, I've been sober for three years. Yeah. Um, And I'm 32. So... Yeah, math. (laughs) 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 But, um, yeah, it was more, like, mid to late 20s. It was definitely... And what's so weird, right, is... Okay, so timeline. Sorry. (laughs) So I'm, like, all over it. So timeline, right? Born in the Bronx. And then I moved to Staten Island. Island. And then from Staten Island, I I graduate high school in Staten Island. And then I moved to literally... The day of my graduation, we moved to Pennsylvania. Like it was like that kind of a deal. We were already there. And from nine to eighteen, you were facing all this sexual and emotional abuse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So uh, and again, so all of this is like, and my stepfather came into the picture at the age of five. So mm. he was around from f- to answer the question as far as like trust and like how did I feel as far as comfort level yeah. from five to nine. Like you're a part of my life, right? Like yeah. I don't. Re- you've been here more than you haven't for, at this point. Like <laughs> let's just see where it keeps going. And it was more like my mom never saw anything any of the signs because my stepfather was very good at making me out to be the favorite as opposed to being like the victim does that make Mm. sense if at Uh, all um if you don't mind me asking like what were some of the behavioral tactics you would use to like do do that um so as far as like make me the favorite yeah yeah like 
Actually, that's funny Sounds that you asked like that. Sounds like twisted, like he's oh, like Oh, it was very twisted. Fuck. It was it was very twisted, yeah. And like even looking back sometimes, I'm like, that's fucking weird that no one even picked up on this because this guy was fucking nuts. Like that kind of a deal. Not but, even yourself at that age. Yeah, and, and don't get me wrong. I would write like stuff in my notebook and like poems and stuff like that. Yeah, and like, sometimes I, I would I like leave just... them out on the, the oh, floor word. or like on the table and I would hope to God like my mom would open wow, it or wow. like go to read it. And then I would find the book and it would be closed. So I knew someone saw it, but I didn't know if they read it. And I was like too afraid to ask them if they read it or like, what'd you think? Or like, did you get anything from that? But it was like my little ways of like crying out for help kind of a deal. Mm. And it was always through my writing. It was always through like what I knew, right? Like and writing was the only thing I knew Mm -hmm. as far as like, how can I be 100% myself? And the only way that I ever really knew how to do that was like, I have to write it down. I have to write what I'm thinking in my head because in my head like even now like how many tangents have I gone on in this one conversation (laughs) right but like that's my thing like I know my brain and Mm -hmm. I know that at this point is it's there's so many like loops in this thing Mm -hmm. yeah for me to stay on course I have to write things down I have to kind of like stay focused and be and not even don't get me wrong I'm not a list person at all my sister is like a very list person I'm not like organized like that (laughs) but as far as like my emotions and like my thoughts and stuff like that Mm -hmm. I have to write it down I Mm -hmm. have to otherwise it become it like eats at me if I don't yeah is that what brought you back to writing um so oddly enough right this is like really weird um when i got into like my addiction and i was really really bad into it i started getting this dream and people like think it's weird when i talk about the dream because it's like it's so weird um dreams are fucking dope there was this so no lie right i would have this nightmare or this dream or whatever it was Mm -hmm. every single fucking night it would always start out the same it would end differently depending on like what happened and it was like a very lucid i was always awake like fully there in this dream right Mm -hmm. and it would always happen the same way it always start out the same way it always And I was bugging out. I remember the first time that I had this dream, I woke up and I was like crying. I woke up crying. I was like sweating. It was like devastated. I didn't know what the hell to do. But I felt like, oh, I need to go back there. It was almost like this place, like this place that I didn't know existed, but like I need to, this is home. Like wherever that place is, I need to get there. That's home. And it sounds really, it sounds weird even when I say it out loud, right? What was the place? So, (laughs) um, okay, so... Here's the dream, right? I'm going to tell you the dream in very ASMR fashion. <laughs> we love it. We love it. Um, so I'm like laying on this bed. It's this hotel room that I'm staying in, right? Mm. So visualize with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and in this hotel room, um, we had, it was two beds normally, but in this dream, it was one. So it was like my room, but it wasn't. It was very weird. Um, but again, it felt like it was my room and my ex at the time is laying in the bed and I would see myself always in this bed and it would be huge. Like it would feel when I'm laying in the bed, like if it was a regular size bed, but then I would feel like myself getting smaller in the bed. Right. Mm. It was very weird. And then I would start lifting up every single time I would start like levitating off of the bed And I would freak out. And I could feel myself freaking out in this dream every single time because it would be like there's something pulling me and I don't know what it is. Was it lucid? Did you know you were dreaming? Oh, yeah. Like 
sometimes it would feel to the point where I didn't know I was dreaming. I thought this was happening. Mm. Like I genuinely thought I was mm. experiencing all of this. Mm -hmm. And it would happen to, to the point where it was like so real. Again, I would have these dreams so often that sometimes it would be like what's real, what's not. Mm. Because I would wake up and be like, I need to get back there. And again, I was always so fucking high and who knew? Like, what the hell was like? So this is like a very like lucid fever dream that was going on, I guess. Um, but again, I would like always have it start out the same way. I'm in this dream. I'm laying in this bed. I start lifting up and I'm like flying around me right in this dream are a bunch of things that are not in the actual room, but it was like a bookcase. Right. And the bookcase was like 200 stories high. Why? I don't know. But <laughs> it was like a 200-story high bookcase. Mm. And then there's like a TV on, but the TV is like just playing episodes of Ridiculousness on repeat. Oh. And it's like, I love Ridiculousness too. Is that a, show a funny you, show? Is but... that a show you guys would watch together? Like, it was definitely... So like weird, oddly enough, is like the Ridiculousness and MTV was always playing when I was like getting high. Always. Mm. Always playing when I was it, getting it's high. It's still always playing. Right? Like, literally. <laughs> and then what would happen is, like, it got to a point where I used to get so mad because I'd be, like, doing bags and trying to, like, you know, get high and there's this fucking commercial that will not stop looping on MTV that's like, if you or someone you know has an issue with drugs, like, oh you should, gosh, like, here's up. this rehab, like, place, and I'm like, uh -oh. how do they fucking know the government's listening to me? And then I would be, like, freaking out, and again, I was high, so it was not a good combination of things. But, um, but yeah, as far as to answer your question, sorry again, because I go on tangents Love all it. the time, but um, to answer your question, yes, I kind of use the writing as far as like as a medium to to understand to that understand dream that you had it and kind of like mm -hmm. get and it wasn't because I wanted to right like mm -hmm. literally it would be at the point where I knew and this is going to sound weird I know that when it comes to writing that's like my thing right and not because I'm not saying that because I think I'm good at it or anything like that. Like, I don't know. I barely show it to anyone, so I wouldn't even know. <laughs> but I think as far as, like, that's my, like, comfort zone, right? Like, that's yeah. it for me is, like, writing, I feel safe there. Like, that's good. But um, this dream was a different experience for me because I did not feel safe here in this dream. And even still, there would be points in this dream where I would, like, wake up and I would be like, oh, if you don't write this down, you're not going to wake up tomorrow. Or if you don't write this down. Mm -hmm. like, And it would be, like, weird things mm -hmm. like that that I would hear in my head. But I would, like, okay, i got to write this shit down because yeah, it would, like, me scare me to my core, yeah. like, those things. And it would be, like, so weird. But yet you wanted to go back to this dream world? Every single time. Wow. So it was almost as if, like this dream and i kind of maybe now right hindsight being 2020 i look back and i'm, I'm like <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> i think almost that this dream was like me and a journey through my subconscious i guess or like all of my trauma and my emotional baggage mm -hmm. and all of the things that i because again as i would be floating or like trying to fight against this force that was like trying to lift me to a higher state to god Right. I'm like reaching for things to try to like hold on to them. Like, oh, God, I need to hold on to this because I don't want to be lifted up. Right. So I'm like trying to hold on. And whatever I would reach to would send me into like another flashback or mm -hmm. like another weird. And so I would have these dreams where I'm like reliving childhood traumas and all these different things that happened to me as a child. But they're not with the same people 
Mm. Like I would see them and they would, I would be myself, right? Or like be experiencing them and remember being in that moment. But then the second I saw someone's face in this dream, it would be someone from my present time, which would be like my drug addiction era, if you will. So it was like weird for me to try to compare the demons that I never really dealt with, with my childhood trauma and like my abuse. And I, cause I never went to therapy. I never sought help after that. It was more like, fuck, somebody did, get me high. It, so I don't got to think about this shit no more. How did it more. stop? Like, how did you get away from all that shit? Till this day, you haven't, um, till this day, you haven't, uh, went to see a therapist or. Um, and I have since then um oh. i have not like i haven't stuck to it really mm-hmm. like i haven't done i don't have like a therapist mm-hmm. i've gone to therapists <laughs> um and i'm i stand by therapy it's not like i'm like an anti-therapy thing at all um but it's more like for me so the first time i went to the police station right mm-hmm. to say what my stepfather was doing mm-hmm. to me this was the first time I got frustrated with writing. <laughs> and I say this mm-hmm. to kind of make sense, but you'll get it. Um, so the guy gave me, the police officer, he hands me a piece of paper and he goes, hey, like really nonchalant. Like I had told him like, hey, my stepfather raped me and like I'm crying and I didn't even know how to say that out loud. And mm-hmm. I'm like saying it now to this complete stranger. And I was like, fuck, how do I you had like, never handle said this? It? No. Well, before that, the only other person that I had said it to was Jose, my ex. Mm-hmm. And oh, we kind of like jumped back. Sorry. So Jose, yeah. my ex, the guy that I had like grown up with and started dating when I was 18, um, he had called me one time again. We were like in a long distance right. relationship. I was living in PA. He was in New York. Mm-hmm. He had called me um, and he was like, hey, what's up? Like, you know, talking, whatever. I was getting ready for school. And again, I was very sheltered and I knew my stepdad as far as like how crazy and controlling he was. And it kind of made me be a little sneaky. I'm not going to lie because you kind of have to learn how to live without mm-hmm. getting caught. Yeah. Right. And my stepdad was psycho when I tell you psycho so it was like I had to be like super sneaky if I never wanted him to see certain Mm -hmm. things or whatever Mm -hmm. so when it came to this I knew me having this boyfriend even though it wasn't really a boyfriend it was like someone I would talk to on the phone occasionally every now and then um but because of that I knew he did not like that and I knew that would make him really angry and he would get my stepfather would have like these fits randomly where he would just be like that's it she spends so much time on the phone which i didn't but like he would see like i had boost mobile at the time and mm. i guess like you could it was weird it was like shout <laughs> out boost mobile yeah <laughs> shout out to the <laughs> chirp phones <laughs> but yeah so um yeah it, he was just like really weird and psycho and controlling to the point where it got to like i would come home from school at the end of the day he would like go through my books and and literally like dump out my book bag turn every single page in my notebook if I had like doodles on my page and that day. And your mom day, wouldn't see he any, would rip nobody, it out, make me rewrite the nobody entire Nobody saw thing. any of this? Um, no, like they did, but they just thought that was like his parenting. They didn't think that it was like abuse. Uh, uh-huh. They And again, the abuse or like the shocking part was more like, oh no, he's also been sexually abusing me on top of all of the stuff that you do see and the emotional and physical bullshit that you guys are allowed to witness. Oh yeah, he's also like this behind closed doors mm-hmm. too, just so you know. Hmm. And um, so this day I went to the police officer like that. Basically, Jose was on the phone with me and he 
got like a weird vibe because my stepfather had walked in in the room and it was like just that awkward uncomfortable moment where he was like something is not right and he called i hung up the phone really quickly because my stepfather was like spazzing out and being crazy and being his usual self and um jose had called me back and was like yo something's not like i need to ask you something and i feel really weird about asking you this and i don't even know how you're gonna take it but Mm -hmm. like i have to ask you because i'm not gonna be okay if i don't and i'm like all right like whatever and he was like, does he hurt you in any way? Like, or does he ever touch you? Or, And I remembered, like, sitting there and just staring at my phone, like, how the fuck does he know one, right? And then, like, also, like, holy fuck, he knows. Mm. So it was almost like this, like, I would have back then, which is weird because I feel like in a way this dream of mine has kind of been following me. So back then I used to have the dream all the time. But it would always be the same thing. It wasn't like, you know, this hotel and all the stuff like how I would have it. But it would be me in bed and I would be lifting up. But it would be like my childhood bed or whatever it was. And um, back then, it w- I would see myself like in a casket, right? Mm-hmm. And it would be like I would die and no one knew what my stepfather was doing to me. Like mm-hmm. I just died and nobody ever knew that he was also raping me or doing any of this. Mm-hmm. So part of me always felt like that was going to be my life, right? Like that was just, I'm going to die and no one's going to know. And when he asked me that question, I was just like, oh shit, like shit just got real. Because it was like at the same time that I felt like, wow, like a sigh of relief. It was like, oh shit. Like at the same time, it was like a bare second of like breath because it was like, oh God, no, wait, wait, (laughs) you know now. Like it was like, and it went from, oh, you know, to oh, fuck, you know, right? Because now, like, everybody knows what my mm-hmm. biggest secret has been my entire life, yeah. like, of what I'm dealing with at home. And that was something I wasn't ready, really, to share with people, especially not to the extent that I did. Jose went and told my grandmother, my uncles, and he told everybody, he was like, we need to get her the fuck out of the house. Oh, snap. Yeah, because he was like, absolutely fucking not. So they showed up at my my school. Yeah. And Wait, I'm like, so sorry. What did the police do when you went to the station? Right, so, so he gets to the school, right? So this is like the first day, right? So we had talked over the phone. Yeah, right. They show up at my school and they're like, yo, like, what's going on? Like, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And so I tell them in person, like, yeah, he didn't lie. Like, everything he said is true and I don't know what to do. Like, where do I go from here? And so they were like, all right, let's get you to, um, we're going to take you to a hospital. We're going to make sure you get your rape kit done and all that stuff. And then we're going to take you to the police station. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, fine. Great. Wonderful. Lovely. Um, and then we get to, there was, luckily, um, I went to East Strasburg University out in Pennsylvania. Shout out ESU Warriors. Hello. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and it was right across the street from a the medical center, which was like the hospital right there. Mm-hmm. Um so it wasn't a far trip at all from the school where they met me to the hospital where they sent me. <laughs> and they were like, all right, go there. And they were like, the police will meet you or like we'll call the police and then have them, you know, figure it out. So I was like, okay, cool, fine, whatever. They were just like, just go to the hospital, get your rape kit done. So now, again, I'm here with my grandmother and Jose's there, my uncle, my aunt. And my grandmother's like, I'm going to go in with you while they do this stuff, blah, blah, blah. And the lady comes back and she's like, hey, I don't know how to tell you this, but you're pregnant. And I was like, like, what the fuck did you just like? I blacked out. I I honestly don't even remember getting home. But what I do remember was before that, before like getting home, 
that night. Mm-hmm. Um, getting to the police station. That was really the moment where I like, fuck, this is happening. This is my life now. Um, so we get to the police station, right? Don't remember how we got there because honestly, again, after that moment, I was like, I don't fucking know anything. <laughs> Um, and we get to the police station, they hand me a piece of paper and they're like, Hey, we need you to write down what happened. But it was literally like the world's smallest fucking index card piece of paper that you can think of that he hands me. right. And I literally looked at him and I was like, you want me to write nine years of my fucking life on this? And he was like, do your best. And I remembered being so fucking, like, livid. It was like, I don't even remember what I wrote on this piece of paper. I honestly don't even remember. But I just remembered being so angry and sitting there and being, like, so fucking mad and being, like, this isn't... Whatever the fuck I write here is nowhere near enough of what you need to know. Like, I can write the worst of the things on this one piece of paper and it still doesn't amount to the nine years of experience that I've had to deal with. Mm -hmm. So how can I write it for you to get it? Uh And the truth was, is that I couldn't right? like, I couldn't write it for them to get it. And I got to a point where I started getting discouraged with my writing because that was how I coped with things, right? Like, I wrote so I could get it. Yeah. And now I don't know how to write for, for other, other people, people to get it. Mm. Right? And so it was like, and I don't want to get it anymore. I'm done. I'm done. I got the shit. I don't Someone want it like, no more. I fucking know, take yes, this bro. shit. Yes. I'm out so of here. So it was like, I'm done. I don't want it. I don't even know how we're going to go through this. But I'm like, I'm completely done with this. And it got to a point where I was just like, I, I, I'm done. I don't want to write. I don't want to do anything. I'm just kind of like... In my own zone. Um, How old were you when this happened? I was 18. Everything happened really fast. So this, this was all still yeah. right around the same time. I was 18, 19-ish. Like, it was all kind of a blur. But, yeah, it all kind of mm. happened at so once. So you were pregnant with his baby yeah so willingly i was still a virgin right and i always say that because it was like i I don't like to say like he took my virginity because that's weird but it's true technically because i was a virgin by choice but i wasn't the virgin mary right like there was a child in me that i did not put there myself um and i remembered the police telling us that night when he got there like they didn't want when because they showed up at my house right so they're like telling my mom and my stepdad and they're like some we need you to come to the precinct it's about emily but they didn't want to tell him anything in case he would get like wise and try to dip or whatever right so they're like it's about emily we just need you to come to the precinct so my mom's freaking out she's like she's dead she's in a ditch somewhere she's like they fucking found her body somewhere (laughs) like something happened and um he must have known right because he literally like took off his watch he had he was a drug dealer too so it was like he always had like fucking chains and like fucking all kinds of crazy like wads of cash so he was like that obnoxious like fucking person right Mm -hmm. so and again from the Bronx, you know (laughs) so he's like pulling out stacks of cash from his pocket handing them to my mom and he's like taking off his big ass fucking eagle chain handing it to my mom his watch and all this stuff he takes it off and he hands it to my mom he's like i'll be back right so my mom's freaking out. She's like, she doesn't understand why he's taking off all of his jewelry and stuff like that. I'm sure it was because he knew he wasn't going to be fucking back, right? Like, you knew that that was why they had you there. Especially, like, if you're guilty, bro, they fucking know, yeah. right? So 
he gets there and they're like, well, we have to ask you about Emily, you know, um, we want to ask you about this and this and this. Did you rape her? He was like, absolutely not. I would never do that. That's my daughter. This is crazy. And so they were like, okay, well, she's pregnant. And he was like, I needed a lawyer. And the fact that he automatically, they were like, that alone is like yeah. sus, right? Like you were just saying you never did it. But now that you know she's pregnant, all of a sudden you need a lawyer now? Like what? But yeah, again, it things worked out the way that they worked out for whatever reason. And yeah, so we went to trial. Oddly enough, there was a moment in trial, right? And I remember this day like it was yesterday. We the trial was around September 11th, so it was like weird. Mm. It wasn't like on the actual September 11th, but it was yeah. on September 11th. So um, mm-hmm. I remembered sitting outside, and it was like a really weird day, and I was emotionally just not in it. And then on top of that, the world is like, I'm, and I'm an empath. I don't empath. I don't know if anybody is, but it's like I feel things like very easily. So yeah. for me. If the world is at a state, and on top of that, I'm emotionally not at a state, I'm like, I'm fucking shambles today. Like, don't look at me. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, this particular day, I'm like, fucking shambled and like devastated. And this lady comes up to me, and she happened to be the lady that we got our house insurance from when we bought the house in Pennsylvania. Weird. And um, she recognized me, and she comes up to me. I was like sitting outside in a coffee shop, and she's like, Hey, and she gives me a hug. I was like, hi. <laughs> and I was like, I didn't want to tell her like what was going on because I'm literally standing outside of the courthouse that I'm in a fucking rape trial. And I feel mm. like this is a weird conversation for mm. my insurance agent. Yeah, right. So I'm like, okay, uh, hi, like whatever. And so I guess she could tell like I was out of it or whatever. Like I just didn't look okay. And so mm. she goes to me and she says, Emily. Life is like an embroidery. And I was like, what? And she was like, we see the back of the embroidery. Like, whatever the embroidered picture is, we see the back of it. So she said, all we see is the lines that are all, like, the strings that just look like they're just tied. And some of them are, like, loose or cut or whatever. And it doesn't really make sense. But she said, but we can trust that God sees the entire picture. Right. And so he sees the way that it's supposed to look, even though we see the back end of it where it's just the pieces that are connecting and how it's she said it doesn't really matter because at the end of it, the one who's creating the picture sees everything. And I remember that being like at that time, one being like so profound and like, oh, my gosh, wow, that like hit me so hard. But also part of me saying like, I hope I get to see bigger picture right because Mm. at that point being 18 being someone no and and the thing is is like when you grow up in those kind of households or like that emotion like you're like there is nothing good in this world like it's horrible place to live this planet (laughs) but um yeah it's it's just fucking weird it sucks and then hearing someone who you don't know say something like this that's like so positive and again she didn't know about like these dreams that i'm having or any of this like crazy stuff that i'm dealing with or any of that but the fact that she would say something that would make me feel so comforted i was like wow someone right whether it is a higher power someone sent her here to tell me this at this moment because i was super suicidal after like 
literally the day after the trial, my stepfather got a not guilty. Um, Wait, what? Yeah, at the trial, right? So we go to the trial, la, la, la. All of the evidence, literally after they fucking destroyed my bedroom, took pieces and chunks out of my mattress to show his fucking DNA evidence all over my room. Destroyed my room. Mm -hmm. Everywhere in our house, they found all kinds of like little hidden gems of his fucking bullshit, whether it was like weird fucking sex toys that he would use that he had hidden in secret compartments in the house or if it was like fucking he had guns that he wasn't um they were like not legal (laughs) and um there were bullets in every single room in like different little hidden spots that we didn't know about or anything like that so it was just like when the cops came to do the investigation and they started finding all of this shit and we're like dumbfounded also and we're like fuck like this is worse than even what I thought I was dealing with living with this like no this is real like this guy's crazy right so again it was just like a complete upheaval for my family everybody was like what the fuck from literally being like one day he's you know this dad and blah blah blah, and then the next day no he's not actually it's like complete 180 yeah um and then so to get to the point where now we're dealing with the trial and they're seeing all of this evidence and all of this stuff come forward. Now, at the legal age of consent in Pennsylvania is 16. So because I was 18 at the time and because of the fact that the initial rape, because my stepfather, being the fucking gentleman that he was, decided to wait until I was 18 years old to actually rape me, like full-on penetration, right? Because there's a difference. Um, And so before that, anything else counted as like molestation or like sexual assault it didn't necessarily count as rape so with that being said he denied ever touching me before the fact that i was 18 and he said that i consented to being with him at 18 and that that was why we were planning this whole like and i remembered like sitting there because i didn't want to sit in the trial like during the actual trial i didn't want to sit in the stands Um, but this particular day that I didn't know they were going to have him go up and testify, um, he had his daughter who, again, I grew up with this family, right? And so his daughter was like my little sister. And at the time she was very young. She was, I want to say like six or seven. And he was having her go up on this stand and trying to say, like, basically trying to coerce your six-year-old child into saying like, oh yeah, no. Daddy and and Emily, they were going to get married. Like, what? (laughs) What the fuck? Like, and especially when it's like you have there, there's this kid who's crying and she's on stage and I'm literally crying in the stands. Like, there's no way like she doesn't, she doesn't, she looks in pain that you're even trying to make her say these things and that you don't even care that she's being affected by this just goes to show the fucking asshole that you are right like because you don't even care about your own fucking blood child let alone someone who's not your child but again he didn't give he was unfazed unbothered and basically um he was able to convince with a photo like a family photo that we had and i was smiling in the family photo we had gotten like professional pictures done or whatever Mm -hmm. 
And I was smiling in the family photo, and he used that as, like, his closing argument of, oh like, oh, she can't God. possibly be molested for nine years. Look how happy she looks in this picture. And people believed him. They were like, oh, yeah, well, that makes sense because she is smiling. So that means she has to be happy. And so they were, like, not guilty. He did get charged for the guns because the guns were like they had his fingerprints and stuff like that or whatever. And again, despite the fact that I was telling them that I was not consenting, despite the fact that I literally had a child in my womb that I was telling them like that the DNA, I ended up getting an abortion and the mm. because the police were like, well, we can wait to full term. And then when the when you give birth, then we can like do a DNA test on it and see from there like as long as and I so knew there was no evidence to prove that it was his. No, 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 there was. So, but this was like before the actual trial that oh, they were okay. saying that. Okay. And I was like, well, I don't want to wait full term one because I don't want to uh, have this child oh, right. Like, yeah. fuck. and then also, did, did was that a, a certainty to you or did you? What, was like, the, I was sure I didn't want to have the child. Yeah, like, from the moment you were in the hospital and the, they told you the shocking news that you were pregnant, were you like, no fucking way? Or or was there... I, I want to say it was, like, always a no fucking way. Of course. Like, I don't I was even... Just, no, no, no. Yeah. It, it, it wasn't, yeah. like, a... To me, it's weird, right? Because... I'm normally, like, under circumstances, I love kids. I'm, like, super, you know, like, I absolutely yeah. fucking adore children. I have a nephew. God bless him. He's amazing. He's just turned one. He's so cute. I love you, Jace. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, like, it, it's just so weird for me in my head to be, like, absolutely fucking lutely not. I do not want this child in me because that was how I felt. But then, like... I'm like, oh, but it was like, you know, like you don't want to blame an innocent child. And I know it's like a touchy subject with like, but it was something that I was struggling yeah. with deeply, yeah. especially growing up in like a Christian church and growing up in like, you know, the faith. And then you're like, oh, well, you have this one thing that's telling you you shouldn't do it, but you have everything inside of your being telling you that you need to do this because you don't want to be a mom at 18 or mm -hmm. let alone take care of a rape child that you, you know what I mean? Like, and yeah. I mean, there are people that do it and God bless you if you do it because I'm sure you're strong as fuck. But like, I personally, that was not my journey. I could not fucking do it. I couldn't even fathom doing that. Yeah. And then on top of that, my youngest sister was, um, and this probably played like a bigger part in my decision too. My youngest sister was his daughter mm -hmm. right so we all have the same mom different dads right um and so i could not wrap my head around the idea of having a child that would be a niece or and also like a sibling to my sister yeah. that was like very weird for me and i couldn't fathom yeah. that so i was just like no absolutely not i don't want this and no and they tried to make me seem like i was the bad guy because of it right and they did that in the trial because they were mm. like they super like fucking slut shamed me because now you got an abortion you fucking whore how oh dare you God. and it was like it was just this whole big thing. And again, at the time, being 18 and never really being somebody that was like able to really speak for myself, right? Or even use my own words, let alone like that weren't on paper, right? Mm -hmm. So it got to a point where I was, I didn't know what the fuck to do. I was just like, fuck, bro. Like, I don't like this. I don't like anything of this feeling. And you would think I would be free, right? Because now... 
my stepfather is no longer hurting me. He's, you know, doing God knows what. But it was just like I felt like it made things 10 times worse now because now everyone knows, right? So now I'm like fucking raw and naked, like just standing here. So now everyone can see me. And then on top of that, they're stoning me now because I had to get an abortion. And no one gives a fuck about why I got the abortion. They just care I got the abortion. And then on top of that, it's like, oh, people are also saying, by the way, that even though you're saying you were hurt by this and that this was a traumatic event for you, actually, they're saying you really wanted it and that this was something that you were in on the whole time. And that fucks with you as like an 18 year old in your head as like, especially going from like, fuck, I have not been able to tell my truth ever, right? Ever. And then I fucking finally tell my truth and you tell me I'm a liar. It just felt weird. It just felt like it was like something was off. And I was just like, all right, fuck it. I don't care about anything anymore. And again, like full on drug, swan dove into drug addiction. But yeah, um, sorry, what was your question? Sorry. No, no. Uh, I, this is I'm an intense time, fucking episode. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, during the time of the trial, remind us of your mom's, you and your mom's relationship during then. Oh yeah. Because I remember yeah. how you said you you were like, uh, like we got better. Like yeah, you got better, but also there was a point in time where you blamed her. Yeah. Or you were trying not to completely blame her. So I just want to know, like, what was it like during this time, especially at the age you were? A hundred percent. No. Yeah. I think at like especially at that time that it was going through I was it was a very weird time for my mom and I like we couldn't have a conversation that would not end up in an argument an argument it was always a screaming match it was always like something and my mom had felt like and recently actually she had told me this which I thought was so weird during and I can't blame her right because when something like this happens it doesn't just affect the one person it affects everyone right even though I was technically I guess the rape victim this event affected my entire family it wasn't just me and so I can't be selfish and think that it would only affect me I knew it was gonna trickle down to everyone else but at 18 and being like fresh and being new I didn't really know how it was affecting everyone else so i remembered being my mom had asked me literally maybe the next day after we went to the police for the first time and she had been like this really like state of shock since everything and um she asked me she's like hey i have a question and i just want to know um because you know sometimes when a woman is played she wants to call the other woman and ask like you know what was different maybe what was new or like and I had to stop her and look at her I said mom I don't know how to express this to you for you to get it you were not cheated on I was fucking raped there is no oh what like and for me that was just like I couldn't understand like damn my own fucking mom doesn't seem to get what I'm saying so she kind of made it about herself right and but again I I me being in the situation, right, and knowing that it, for me, it was a relief, right? I knew this secret for nine years. Not long. Right. So it was more like a release, but it was also like a fucking domino effect, right? Because the second I, like, 
everything started fucking falling down and mm-hmm. everything around me started going crazy. So I knew it was going to happen and I kind of expected it because this was all news to everyone but me, mm-hmm. right? But I wasn't expecting for it to be that type of a reaction where it was like, wait, are you comparing this to being played? Because that's not what this is, right? And so I didn't know how that, like where that miscommunication was coming in because I couldn't express, like how the fuck do you express that to your mom any Mm. more clear than what the fuck you're saying, right? Like it's just like, I don't know how else to get you to understand that. But um, it is what it is. And I think that that part in time, I was going through a lot. Again, not going through therapy, really. I went to therapist once, roughly around the same time as the trial. Um, and she was like, oh, you are showing me some signs of bipolar disorder and PTSD and this and that. And I was like, oh, am I? Great. But I have a good yeah, day. Cool. And I was just like, Thank great. You. <laughs> but I was just like, I one it was like weird because this was one conversation I had with someone, right? Like this is like at the end of this podcast, one of your viewers calls in and they're like, yeah, no, that bitch is crazy. (laughs) She got this, this and this, but it was just like, we talked for like uh, 45 minutes and then she started listing all of these things that was wrong with me. And again, it, it made me feel like, damn, anytime I speak my fucking truth or tell someone what is on my mind, all hell breaks loose around me or people look at me weird or people think I'm like, they're judging me or it just feels. So no wonder you started writing. Yeah. And I feel like for, especially in that time, because this was when I stopped, now I wanted to stop writing, right? Because I was writing in for myself and now I was like, I don't want to write no more. Yeah. And then on top of that, I feel like, everyone and their mother is just like fucking looking at me with a microscope and they just want to know all these things. And I I just don't know how to make anyone see my truth any more than what I have without it being, (laughs) without it being, um, one painful, right? Mm-hmm. Cause every time you relive these things, it's like, fuck, why do I have to keep doing that? Yeah, for sure. And then also it's like, I don't want to keep sharing things that hurt me only to continue to get hurt because one, you either don't want to really listen to what I'm saying or you're taking it to, and trying to use it as like a weapon for against mm-hmm. me kind of a deal. Um, so when it came to my mom and I, because we were, and with my stepfather being crazy, right? <laughs> I say that because it's true. <laughs> it is, is very true. But, um, he was the type, again, very controlling, very uh, crazy. He had this weird shrine of me that he had gotten done. I was graduating high school, and he made me go to – I had gotten my first job at Glamour Shots. Which got was a like shrine weird. of you? Yeah. So my first job ever was at Glamour Shots at the mall. I don't know if you know what that is. Yeah, no. It's like, have you ever seen Napoleon <laughs> Dynamite? <laughs> Wait, yeah. okay, this is totally it's not like, the but I was gonna watch Napoleon Dynamite like the other day such a good movie I I love that fucking movie but in Napoleon Dynamite the girl Deb she like does all these glamorous shots I made a shrine of her I'm not sure if you heard because you were in the bathroom I made a shrine of her yeah so (laughs) she's about to explain it I know yeah so we 
we went to this. Okay, so my first job was Glamour Shots. That's where Napoleon Dynamite came in because that's where Debbie used to work. She was like a Glamour Shot girl. But yeah, my first job was like a greeting girl at Glamour Shots. I would stand outside and they would do like these photo shoots inside. It was like basically a little photo shoot area. And they would do your makeup and they'd do your hair and yeah. they'd do all this stuff. Yeah. Um, and so I was just like the greeter to like hand out coupons at the door and get people to come in. But um, my stepfather loved the idea that i worked here and he was like oh for your graduation we're gonna get you a photo shoot done and i remember i was like i don't i'm very like i'm not photogenic photo at all i hate being on camera like i'm just not like and i was even telling will like even when we did dog food like yeah, i'm an actress yes but like i hate being on camera like yeah, i don't yeah. it's easier when i'm not myself i'm sure but it's still yeah weird anyways so he had gotten like this whole package done where it was like this hour long photo shoot and then he got at the end purchased all like these close-ups of my face um all an eight and a half by 11 like these giant like big ass fucking things and then in the house he had like an entire wall and mind you my stepfather had like eight kids right and that's including the three that he had with my mom mm -hmm. myself and my sister um but eight children and there's only one person on this fucking wall you would think someone would see like a fucking red flag right but no so the wall was covered with all of these fucking pictures from my glamour shots that i had taken and oh it was like literally just like the hallway shrine of emily for whatever reason and i have siblings that not only like it wasn't like oh she's the only one that lives with us or oh like no i'm like the oldest there's still fucking four more yeah. kids in this house and i'm the only one on the wall or i'm like yeah. it just was a very weird dynamic it was very odd it was just off it was definitely weird it was definitely yeah weird this is probably the best word to describe it but yeah <laughs> and then it. you see stuff like let's say with my mom again back then with the craziness of my stepfather she was always like pushed away right and i don't know what their relationship must have been like like their actual mm -hmm. marriage as far as like their the details of their marriage but i can only imagine like it was like trash from you guys oh yeah, yeah yeah no like everything was it was very weird growing up like i can look back at it and i'm like it's very odd time because i remembered thinking like again during the day like nothing is bad right and mm -hmm. even now like looking back you i remembered you asked me like what do you think that switch was yeah. like was it alcohol or was it drugs now looking back and suffering from my own addiction and seeing stuff i like look back and i'm like oh he was definitely on fucking drugs bro there's oh. no way like the people he, he was always around and like i look back at it and i'm like oh he was on some shit but my mom didn't know or, like, says that she didn't know anything or whatever. And, again, there was so much going on in that house. Who fucking knows where it even st started from? But, right. yeah, that was to answer both of those questions as far as, like, my relationship with my mom got a little bit better after everything. Because then it was like we didn't have a barrier between us anymore, right? Because he – I think he, in a way, my stepfather knew if I was close to my mom in any way or if I – talk to my mom in any way that she probably would have been the first person I said something yeah. to, right? Because that just makes sense. Like, your mom would be... And so I feel like he had to drive a wedge between my mom and I. Like, that was, like, a part of his oh, goal yeah. was, like... Yeah. And so... I, and this kind of goes back to the beginning of this story. Congenital hip dysplasia. <laughs> See my tangents? They Certainly, all come back yeah, eventually. Yeah, yeah. Circles, so, 
because I was born with congenital hip dysplasia, I my mom ended up suing the doctor. Um, and then they gave me like this settlement for like whatever money, right? That I wasn't allowed to get till I was 18 years old. Mm-hmm. My stepfather, who found out about this very early on, and I swear to this day, like this had to be a part of why I was like his fucking target or like, you know what I mean? Like it just makes sense. So he found out very early on about this settlement that I was supposed to be getting that was supposed to be like this big amount or whatever. And I feel like that was for him like like a almost like a cash prize. Like, yeah, like, okay, we got the the cow, like the winning cow, and that would be me, right? Um, and so it was almost like everything growing up was centered around make sure that one she knows right who's boss that's number one so that once her money comes in she knows she doesn't have control of her money right like the boss has the control of the money so if she knows that she's not the boss then she won't even think about this money because once this money comes in it'll be my money and i feel like that was his mentality on it even to the point where after the trial i would go back and i would I checked my bank statements. There would be like fucking two grand at a time being pulled out from all these ATMs and like random spots that I knew was not me. At no point in time ever have I had two grand in my pocket ever. (laughs) So it was just like to see that and be like, I knew he was dipping into the cash or whatever. It just had to, it just made sense after like. So he didn't get arrested. So he did get arrested for the gun, right? Like we talked about that, the gun. And then. So he did three months for the illegal gun, right? But because the Lord is good all the time, say it with me, all the time. Yeah. (laughs) Um, He... All the time. Right? All the time. Even when you think he's not. But yeah, I was devastated, right? Because three months after nine years, I was like, and you didn't even get charged with anything, like, regarding what you did to me. It was just for a fucking gun that was irrelevant, right? So three months, and then at the end, because... And during this time, because of the fact that the nine years started, we were in New York, right? But it ended in PA. So the trial, the initial trial started in Pennsylvania because that was where the initial rape charge happened, right? right. That was mm-hmm. where he waited till I was 18. What a gentleman. And then before that, everything happened in New York. So it was like everything was all sexual assault charges, but in New York. So I still was going to file for them because I was like, I'm still fucking dealing with this like of course so we did and um he did the three months at the end of the three months he got picked up from rikers for the charges for sexual assault towards a minor he pled guilty for sexual assault towards a minor um because he was in new york they could pick him up so they picked him up from pennsylvania and took him to new york oh okay they charged him in new york for the sexual assault towards a minor he pled guilty for that then he did six months in rikers island for sexual assault towards a minor and then again because the lord is good all the time (laughs) Pennsylvania literally was waiting outside of the gates at Rikers Island after his six months and charged him for seven years for perjury charges because he said on the stand he didn't touch me until I was 18 and then he pled sexual yeah. assault as a minor. So it was like, duh, dumbass, like you're an idiot. Yeah. But yeah, so I mean, again, the Lord is good. It worked out eventually. Like he granted it wasn't anywhere near the time or yeah. anything like, but 
I'm that's not I'm not here for that, right? Yeah, like the yeah, revenge yeah. is not mine. I don't yeah, care about yeah. that. It's that's not even really beautiful on me. Yeah. But yeah, I, I feel like yeah. at the end of the day, I'm just grateful that one, I didn't kill myself those many times that I thought I would have. And how did? I, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I this is like how how <laughs> did you how, how how did you not just end it all? Really is what um, I'm asking. <laughs> Guess. Like, like I fucking tried, guy. <laughs> no, um, no. I I mean, don't get me wrong. I was never like to the point where I was hospitalized for any of my attempts, and anything that I did was more mentally um, exhausting than actual like me trying to kill myself. Uh, my mom walked in on me one time where I was like prepping the twelve gauge shotgun, about to like just do it, and she's like, "What the fuck are you doing?" Mm-hmm. And I just remember, like, dropping the gun and crying. And I was like, I don't know. I just don't want to do this anymore. Like, mm-hmm. I kept telling her, like, I don't. And that was after he was in jail. Yeah. Well, it was It was almost like when he was in jail, it didn't. One, it didn't really matter, right? Because, like. Of course. It didn't it, fix it, it, any, anything. Whatever happens to, to him, like, happens to him that uh, is neither here nor there. But right. more so, it was like, while he was arrested it was like my brain was also in this like cage of fucking bullshit because now i'm still reliving it it was weird how it was affecting all of my relationships right like all of of my relationships so i lost half of my family right because again we were raised with this guy so his family was our family his eight kids were our siblings and all of this and when the trial happened it was a very clear oh we're going to be on his side. His side, her side. Right. Like, it was very... And so, I I love my brother to death. Logan is not my biological brother at all. He is my stepfather's son, fully. Um, and he has no ties to my mom, either, biologically. But when this all happened, my brother was like, you got me fucked up if you think that I could ever sit here and think that this is okay. You're my sister. He stood by you. A hundred percent. Wow. And to this, I, my brother is like one of the greatest people I've ever met on my planet. Mm-hmm. Like there's not one person that meets my brother that's like, you're fucking amazing. I love you. You're so cool. <laughs> but, um, and he's, he goes through a lot. He's probably the strongest person I know. He's super, super, super talented and amazing and awesome. He's also very sick and he had to deal with a lot because, again, his parents were bullshit and they sucked and he had a lot of mental and health issues growing up, too. Um, But I'm grateful for the fact that I didn't lose all of my family because growing up again, Logan and I were super, super close because Mm -hmm. even though we're not biological um, siblings, we are only two months apart. So so Uh. we were basically twins, right? Growing up, like we were like we made ourselves twins. Um, And he was we would. When I tell you, like, Logan was probably, like, the biggest supporter of my arts, like, fascination from very early mm. on. We would be, like, six years old writing little Dawson's Creek episodes and, like, pretending like we're at Katie or whatever the fuck their names were. And it was, like, great. And we would rip up snowflakes out of paper and, like, make music videos and pretend, like, and, yeah. And Logan is the reason I fell in love with writing, too. Like, as mm. much as yeah. I did in school, I remembered my brother who would 
he was abused by his stepfather and his mom in his own home. But on the weekends, he would come to our house and it would be like his sanctuary, right? Like he would love it there. So he didn't live with you? No, um, not until like we turned, got a little older and okay. he started going through more abuse at home. And then we kind of like took him in and he lived with us for a very long time from there. on. So he was yeah. like 12. Um, but before that, we were like weekends, like every weekend. Okay. Um, and... He would come over, and I remembered he bagged me so hard one time. <laughs> There's, um, TLC was like huge, and I think this was like around the time yeah. their like fan mail album came out. I love TLC. Yeah. <laughs> so I fuck with TLC. My right. brother had come right, and don't get again. I was very sheltered, right? Mm -hmm. Very sheltered. So when I tell you like my extent of musical knowledge up until the time I was like ten was Disney. Wow, so Music. you were at TLC, you've been like, what is so, this? No, so this is, right, this is, one, why I was like, I've got to be a writer, but yeah. also, like, I was like, my brother's a fucking asshole. So <laughs> he had come with his notebook, and he it was one of the weekends, and he's like, yeah, so I wrote this song. Um, yeah, I think it's really good, and I don't know, tell me if you like it. So he's, like, playing the song this is such a good song. He's like, I miss you so much. I was like, this is so good. What the fuck? And I was like, yes, this is a bop. This is a hit. This is going to make yeah. it. This is what's going to take us out the hood. And then I heard the song on a fucking TLC track like three days later. And I was like, this mother, either he is really good at what he does and already got this song on an album yeah. or he's a fucking liar. <laughs> but yeah, no, I love my brother to death. He's awesome. And I think that that was part of, um, him and his writing and his just always being able to express what he was dealing with and his bullshit was kind of always like kind of a comfort for me to be like, yeah, you know, I can write this too. Or like I could write about my stuff and not mm. feel judged or not. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. I would very rarely share it with him, yeah, but you know yeah. what I mean? It was just the comfort of knowing that someone else kind of gets it. Yeah. Even if it, they don't a hundred percent get it. Yeah. Yeah. W what about Jose? Cause I, so the last <laughs> where thing that did he we go? Heard, the last thing that we heard about Jose was he sort of got the idea what was happening between you and your stepdad, yeah. and he was the one who, from what I heard tonight, yeah, to like push you a hundred percent, yeah, to really a hundred percent, yeah. Well, Jose and I, um, for a while, we continued to date. We dated, I want to say for like. Jose was probably my longest relationship. So like six years. Okay. Yeah. It was like a really long time wow. where we dated. Um, he's got a kid now. He's great. He's in, he's actually in NYPD. Shout uh, out Jose. Yeah. He's awesome. He's doing really well for himself. He lives in the Bronx. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um, it's, it's great. It's, it's good. I, other than that, I mean, it really wasn't, we ended up breaking up because again, I was not mentally in a place for a relationship. Of course. And even, through money relationships after that i was not mentally in a place for a relationship mm -hmm. but um no yeah jose is always going to be somebody that like he's we're always going to be homies like yeah, yeah. So it's just somebody like you saved my life literally like yeah. you know what i mean yeah. as much as it sounds dramatic no. like it is what it is no, like no, no, you really no, yeah, saved my real. life like and it's like i'm i'm always gonna have a special place for him in my heart like regardless yeah, of yeah. whatever yeah um what talk us through how you were eventually able to get help um ooh. <laughs> okay <laughs> if you want uh yeah so after everything with the trial i kind of went more 
like I was trying to really get into church or I needed something to make me happy, right? Because I was always so sad. And I would tell my mom all the time, like, I don't know how to feel anything else. I try. I will try all the time. But it is very hard for me. And I had gotten so good at acting, right? Because – and not acting like as in the career, but just like generally oh. acting because I was literally pretending my whole life, right? Like I was pretending to be okay mm. when I wasn't. I was pretending nothing was going on when it was. I was pretending all the time. And then now I'm pretending that I'm okay now when I'm not. And that I'm like, oh yeah, I let it all go, but I didn't. And oh yeah, it's all better now, but it isn't. And it's like, all of that shit just keeps going through your head and you're still dealing with it and you don't really know how. And then when you try to figure out how people are putting all these labels on you and saying you're this or you're that and you're this, or you're that. And I literally just wanted to breathe. Right. It got to a point where it's like, I don't want to be this or that. I hate labels. That's like one of my, I fucking hate labels. Like fucking hate. Labels. Mm-hmm. I, I always tell people like, do I look like I fit inside of a fucking box? Mm-hmm. I do not fit in a box. <laughs> you cannot put me in a box, <laughs> but it's just like, I am not that type of person. Like I just, don't in general i don't like labeling people i feel like it's limiting like we are so much we are we can be limitless it is absolutely amazing what the human being like mind can think of and what they can do and accomplish it's just insane to think that you are limited or in a box or only one thing so i guess i always kind of felt like i'm going to either be forced to be a victim or a survivor right Mm. like you don't have a choice if you're either one you either die right because you just can't handle it or if you are going to keep going you're going to remain a victim or you're going to remain a survivor so it's like you have those two options in front of you just pick one right it can be very easy to be a victim and i tried that for a long time because it sounded like the easier way and so it was easy for me to just be like oh fuck it you know what I'm not going to – and don't get me wrong. I never wanted to be a victim, right? Like, I never – I'm not the type of person that, like, victimizes themselves. I hate that shit. Like, I feel like everything that I've gone through, like, I, I've gone through it, but it's made me a better person, right? So it was, like, for a reason. I don't ever want to sit here and be like, oh, what was me? Like, that's not at all what I'm trying to do. Um, But I feel like when you get to – like, when you're in that, mm-hmm. right, and your brain is trying to – see tomorrow or Mm. understand what a future could be like when you feel like there is no hope right that is terrifying (laughs) that is very scary that is like probably that's probably one of the hardest things like when you those days that you can like look back and be like damn i really did not think i was gonna make it out of that day Mm -hmm. right and to be able to say that I did make it past and that I have had several days like that, right? And that I have made it past several days like that. That just kind of gives me hope where it's like, you know what? Bring it tomorrow. Whatever you got to bring it. Like, just bring it. Whatever it is, I'm going to face it and I'm going to handle it and I'm going to do it because it is what it is. You're fucking inspiring, (laughs) dude. I don't I don't know about all that, but uh, I'm definitely, I try to. Your strength is inspirational, Emmy. Thank you. Truly. Mm-hmm. Well, don't yeah. make me cry. Yeah. I'm like, we're not lying. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Uh, honestly, I don't. Do you not think you are? It's, it's it's weird, right? Like, I don't. 
Because this is your life. You lived with it. Right. So it's hard yeah. to... It's hard to separate yourself, right? Yeah, it's so, weird to talk about it and then see all these people's reactions. Like, yeah, man, this is... Right. When, when something's your day-to-day... <laughs> right. I think uh, that's where it becomes, yeah. like, for me... Yeah. It has, and I maybe I, I think I blame a part of this to like that dream that I kind of have, right? Mm-hmm. Where I've gotten to a point where sometimes I look at certain things that have happened in my life and it feels like I'm like looking at a different girl's life. Like four years ago, I was addicted to heroin and I was not just addicted to heroin. I was like fucking cracked the fuck out, like shot out addicted to heroin. Like every you were day. You were- like I uh, like faint the fuck out. Like I need my fix right now. Like that kind how of an did idea. That, like how did you you get into that? Um. So okay. So it's like that escape though. Right. Yeah. 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 This right. So let go. Yeah. I had yeah. gotten right. So all these failed relationships. Right after I broke up with Jose, it was like another relationship, another relationship, another relationship. I got married at one point. You did? Yeah. I didn't know that. I, it was like a very brief wedding. <laughs> like a very brief thing but yeah i had gotten married and it was mainly because not even like out of love or like oh i'm so in love with this guy i want to spend the rest of my life with him it was i literally was like why not nobody else is gonna fucking want me Mm. and it was that kind of like a literal like well might as fucking well bitch (laughs) who else you gonna get that kind of an idea in your head and i genuinely believes like no, yeah, no one else is going to want you. And I, I think back to my mom had given me um, the talk, right? I remembered I was nine when my mom had given me the talk. And oddly enough, this was right around the time that my molestation had started. And my mom, I don't think she realized how damaging this was for me at the time. Or even how, I didn't even realize how damaging it was going to be for me in the long run, right? But it was. Um, And so my mom had told me about like, oh, you know, this is her version of the talk, right? She's like, you know, if you go into a store and you want to buy this cashmere sweater, this cashmere sweater is so beautiful, it's so expensive, it's so soft, it's so luxurious. And she's like, and you want to touch it and you want to... And so she's like, this cashmere sweater is on the rack and everyone has tried it and everyone has touched it and everyone loves this sweater. But when you go to buy it, you want to ask the attendant if they have another one in the back because you don't want the one that other people have touched. You don't want the one that other people have tried already. And that was my mom's version of the sex talk. (laughs) And I don't think... Meaning like... Wait, you were want... you the cashmere? I was the sweater. I was the fucking sweater. The, I thought the, right. oh, the, one on the, rack, the one on the rack. I was imagining I'm the assuming... men were the sweater that you no, wanted. The... So she <laughs> was <laughs> right. I I still honestly don't fucking fully get it. Now I know why this was so damaging for me. I don't know fully 100% what the fucking analogy meant, was with the right. sweater, honestly. But I know for me it was like so fucking damaging because I'm like, damn, I am already touched Mm. i'm already being like tried on yeah and i didn't even have a fucking shot here i'm at nine and you're telling me this fucking story and it's like fuck (laughs) like damn already like (laughs) it's like shit then i don't have a fucking chance in hell if that's the case right like and i remembered feeling that way and wanting to hold on to my virginity and my innocence and my like with dear life because i was like i have to be wanted right like i Mm. and that as fucked up and damaging as that is to a child in their head because it was like it really fucked me up it's just like 
that idea of wanting to be wanted right like who what human being doesn't understand that right like that feeling of just wanting to be but now mm. you're understanding or you're being that idea that that's completely normal is being now put into this analogy that is basically you are property and not only are you property for someone to purchase but you are property for someone to purchase and you're used property. You're in a thrift store. Nobody even fucking wants to purchase you. Like oh, that kind of a damaged I see, I see. idea. And I know that yeah. that's probably not what she meant or even intended because I don't even yeah. think, you know, like she didn't know what was going on or, but that fucked with me. Like that's crazy for you to be oh, nine oh and God, like, damn, this is the first thing. Fuck, I'm done. So, so I'm a cashmere sweater. Right. <laughs> and not even a good one. I'm the fucking cheap one in the back yeah. that nobody wants. Like uh-huh. I, it was just yeah, so it was just a lot. And um, that was damaging. That was really fucking... I don't even remember what the question was or how we got there, but yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think we started with heroin and then we right. went to that, but... It, right, so yeah. And then with the with the man that you married, did right. you feel that with him? In the, um, Did you feel that you were wanted with him? So or it was were you more, settling for so, that lifestyle? <laughs> T-T-T. <laughs> so uh, we had dated for a little bit. Um, he, at first, it was like a rebellious thing. Like my family didn't want me to date him. My mom oh, wow. was like, yeah, it was How like something really stupid. I was like maybe 20 when we started oh, dating. Oh, okay. Yeah. 2021. 20, um, and so we started dating and he, I like I truly fully believe that he was supposed to be in my life for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and he took me to church, right. And like invited me to his family's church, which I thought was really weird. Um, but I liked it. And I ended up like spending a lot of time there. I ended up joining the church and like joining the drama ministry there. Mm. And that was where I started acting and like mm. really actually getting on stage because before that, even in high school and stuff like that, whenever I would want to audition for something or even be a part of it, my stepfather would flip the fuck out. He never wanted me to do anything like that or any kind of activities that required me to be away from home or out of his sight or around other people was like, absolutely not. Um, So, yeah, that was definitely a no-go. And when I started going to this church with my ex, he took me there. So we had started going to church. It was great. It was lovely. Everything was fine. Then I felt like, ooh, I feel like the Lord is telling me we should not be together. Mm -hmm. And it was more so because I was trying to find, again, myself and dealing with all of this emotional baggage. And I felt like I still haven't really dealt with this stuff yet, right? And I didn't realize that, like, when you are sexually abused as a child that you crave sex. I didn't realize that that was a thing. Um, At least not. I mean, maybe it's not for everyone. For me, it was. I don't know. I'm not a fucking doctor. But for me, that was the case. And it it got to a point where it was like... I don't know how to not want sex, right? And it was, I was, I, it got to a point where it was like, I didn't care if it was a guy, if it was a girl, I didn't care if it was multiple people. <laughs> it was just like, let's just do it. And now you put that into a girl who's leading a drama ministry at church and is like, this is not, mm. wait a minute, this isn't okay. 
but that was what I was doing, right? Like I was like living one life again. Cause that was who I was. I was, what I was used to was like live one life in front of people, live another life behind closed doors. Right. So that was what I was used to. So I'm in church and I'm serving ministry and doing all of these things and praising the Lord and then going out and having threesomes and clubbing and partying and doing this and doing that within the same week. You know what I mean? And it wasn't, something wasn't adding up. It wasn't. And I got to the point where I was like, I need to take a break. I need to be focused on one thing and one thing only. Um, and so I had broken, broken up with him. And um, the next day, right, because I waste no time, this guy who I thought was really cute, who was the leader of my poetry ministry, and um, he was like, yeah, you know, want to go out for milkshakes with me or whatever. It was super cute and romantic, and we shared a milkshake, and it was like two mm. straws, one cup. It was so yeah. cute. It was adorable. It was the day after, but then you're like, Damn, It was the day after, really but I'm though. like, you know what? Fuck yeah, I want a milkshake. <laughs> so we're having this milkshake and like, literally not even wow. thinking about this guy anymore. And I'm just like, oh, I love you. I don't even remember the other guy's name anymore. And so I go at the end. This was like the sweetest date I've, I was ever on. And he was like so kind and romantic. Mm. And mind you, at this point in time, I had never, ever, ever, ever experienced a man who was outside of my my family, like besides obviously my stepfather, who was a crazy person, but mm-hmm. um, never experienced a man who did not want sex from me. That was just literally, and that was all I knew at that point. Like, it had gotten to a point where it was like, I don't know any better. And that sounds stupid now because obviously you know better. But back then, like, genuinely, I really, it wasn't that I didn't know better. It was that I, I honestly, that was, it was it. Like, yeah, you know better, but it was like, but how do you get there, right? Like, you know how the same way you guys are asking me, like, how the fuck did you get from here to here Mm -hmm. so quickly? In my head, it was kind of like the same thing, except like I didn't understand because I maybe I never went to therapy or I never saw like the connections. I didn't understand how my trauma that I wasn't dealing with was affecting me in my life now. Mm. Right. So this guy who was super romantic, he didn't even kiss me. Literally, he waited seven years to kiss me from this date. It was insane. But um, yeah, he was so, so sweet, super romantic. Like he was like holding my hand and we were like sitting on my little porch swing outside and it was like so cute. And he walked me to my door and he left. And I remembered going into my house that night and thinking, holy shit, it's possible to be interested in a guy for a guy to be fully interested in you for you to not be a sex piece of me or whatever it is and still be feel like good right at the end of the day so i felt great i was like wow this is wonderful and i was like i'm gonna ask him out again so the next day i'm like i'm gonna go up to him i'm gonna ask him and he's gonna be like you know he's gonna say yes because of course we had that amazing moment last night like how could he not he says no and I was like devastated. I was like, what? So at the time I'm like, I go back to my apartment and like the church was here, right? My apartment is here. And literally right here is where my ex lived right next door. So, so weird. So he's living next door and his best friend who's actually, actually it's his birthday today. Happy birthday. (laughs) Um, So today, uh, his best friend was living with him at the time and he was also one of my very good good friends. And so my door was always open. I never locked my door. 
And he comes into my apartment and he sees me crying on my couch. And he's like, Em, what's going on? Like, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, boys really fucking suck, you know? And I'm like, terrible. I cry. It's so ugly. It's so bad. And he's like, oh my gosh. So he thinks I am talking about my ex, mm. not this other guy, right? His friend. Right. So he sends a text to my ex, who's his roommate, who's like, yo, M's really going through it. I think she's missing you. I think you guys should really, you know, because again, it was what, a day later when I went on this date. So it was like no time. Who wouldn't think I was talking about my ex, right? So he comes over and he's like talking to me. He's like, mind you, this is how it starts. He sends me a text message before he comes over and it's the Bruno Mars song when I was your man. Mm. And one, I'm a fucking sucker for Bruno Mars. I love Bruno Wait, Mars. I was no, <laughs> what? I was what? I was listening to Bruno Mars before the episode. Really? So oh, I yeah. love that. Of course, of course you were. Yeah. It's like, yes, That's I love awesome. you, Malka. He just, has, <laughs> awesome. he just has like something where you're just so like good. star power. He's like my older brother. He uh, just has like, oh, I feel like I could just talk to you this right This is now. a vibe, honestly. He's, he's so good. He's got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. got <laughs> it. Whatever it is, he's got it. But yeah. <laughs> but I love him. So he sent me this song, and the song was literally everything I had wanted my ex to say to me right because in the midst of this relationship it was it yeah and in the midst of this relationship i felt like again this date that i had gone on was the first time anybody didn't just want sex from me right so even in this relationship that i was with with this guy i felt like i was only ever sex to someone like that's Mm. all i was Mm. and so when i left trying to like free myself from that and then this date (laughs) didn't want to go out on another date with me after that i was like what do you mean so now he comes in he sends me this song this fucking romantic ass bruno mars song with all the right words and bruno's singing in my ear and he's like if i was your man and i was definitely one of his top three songs 100 (laughs) percent. so i'm like bawling crying emotional as fuck and he my ex comes over and he basically long story short he's like you know, I think we should work things out. And I was, again, at the point like, yeah, well, fuck, I'm not getting anyone else apparently. Like, because I tried so hard, right? After one whole fucking day and one date. (laughs) But I was like, okay, yeah, great. Okay, cool. So we're going to just end it there and wrap it up. And literally like, uh, I want to say three months later, we were married. That was how fast it was. It was like, I am a reckless person. Let me just <laughs> preface by saying that. How as long if were you this entire for? fucking conversation hasn't said that. We were married for two years, I wanna say. It was like two years. Yeah. So we were together all together for I wanna say like three well, it was like four years altogether. Like two years before we were married and then two years and married. And this was before or after your addiction? Before. Before. This okay. was all right before. In fact, I ended up leaving him with um I'm gonna just call him Jay. But Jay is uh my ex who got me like into the whole drugs thing. He was working at a restaurant with me and mm-hmm. my ex at the time. And oh, wow. yeah, my husband, right? So like oh. my husband and I are working at this restaurant on and in comes jay and he's like the new guy and i'm like whoa the new guy's kind of cute and again i'm still fucked up in the head so i'm like fuck it whatever um so yeah we decided to talk we started talking one thing led to another i'm getting a divorce and (sighs) then he also had a girlfriend mind you because this was of course like what shit show isn't a fully Mm -hmm. fully fucking shit show um so i'm like yeah so we're starting to date then his girlfriend 
um, he goes to his girlfriend. He's like, well, I just need to be honest with you, which I appreciated. And he was like, I am in love with Emily and also you. So let's all be together. And I was like, okay, because I'm bi. So I was like, yeah, whatever, fuck it, like, fine. And she was, like, never into any girls or anything like that. So she was like, this is weird, but okay, we'll try it or whatever. So the three of us dated and we're, like, a polyamorous relationship for a little bit. And then she started getting very um, jealous because of the fact that, like, we were friends. Like, I would – I'm – I grew up with my uncles, so I'm like, I'll play video games with you. Yeah, I don't give a fuck. Like, I'll sit here and watch stupid ass fucking videos or whatever it is. But she wasn't like, she's was a very girly girl. She was not like into any of those things. So she started to get upset. She was like, I'm not going to do this. I'm done. So she dipped on the relationship. It was a very ugly breakup, but the two of us stayed together and we were just like, fuck it. Um, as we were together, mind you, after this breakup was when I first found out that he was doing drugs, right? So after he broke up where she left and it was just the two of us and she like ripped everything out of the house, the house was destroyed. It was horrible. And she comes, um, he basically is like, oh, I'm so stressed out this day. And I'm like, why? Because obviously she took all his shit and he's like, um, yeah, I could go for a bag right now. I was like a bag, like what the fuck does that even mean? And he's like, yeah, you know, of dope. And I was like, it's not that bad of a fucking day, bro. <laughs> like, calm the fuck down. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I didn't get, like, I didn't think he was serious. One, I didn't think it was, like, even that big of a deal. Um, and then he started, like, going off and telling me about this situation and how, like, oh, you know, they they lie to you in the, the media and the news. They lie to you. It's basically just this drug. It's just a legal, a, a le- illegal form of this drug, but it's the same thing. So just try it and blah, blah. And me being the dumbass that I was and naive and stupid and traum- broken and fucking traumatized, I was like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And I did it. And I remember the first night I was doing it, we were having like a conversation. It was like him and all he had his drug dealer friend. I'm going to actually, oddly enough, show you a picture after this because, (laughs) (laughs) because I was, I sent the picture to Vincent, the director of dog food the other day, Mm -hmm. because we were talking about how um, fantastic his casting was for this script and how absolutely phenomenal it was and i came across a picture of my ex and i and our two best friends from back in those days when we were really heavy into our drugs and when i tell you i looked at it the other day and i had to send it to vincent because i was like this is fucking weird bro this is literally me anna will and matisse it's so fucking weird and i sent it to him i was like and he like he's like sending me he's like whoa <laughs> I was like yeah fucking whoa is oh, right I can't wait to see it but yeah it was just weird because even like she had like a little redhead and Anna's like a little redhead and she yeah. had red hair in the picture and I was like I don't even remember her being a redhead but okay like fucking weird anyways so this night they're all and I again had just come out of a church like really heavy into church and stuff like that so they would make fun of me all the time because they're like oh you're this Christian girl like this good girl Christian and you're god must be so proud of you like here take another fucking hit like that kind of a deal right and i would be so i i I would i was like adamant like i was like i need to get out of this situation right but i also i knew that the only way i would get out of the situation is 
by God, there was no other, like I did not physically have the strength to get through it by myself. Cause I couldn't, cause I tried. And when I tried to do it by myself or get out of it by myself, I just ended up like deeper in the hole and like worse and things would just get crazier. And so it got to a point where I was like, I, I just have to try to give this up and not live this life anymore. Right. So after, oh, well, let me start from the first night. <laughs> so yeah, we take, uh, he like offers me this hit after they're like making fun of me for being a Christian and all this shit or whatever. And, um, they're talking about the Illuminati and they're talking about how like, Oh, would you sell your soul to the devil or whatever to get all these riches and fame or whatever? Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, I don't think I would. Cause I don't, I don't know if I would be happy then. Right. Cause I was again, mad depressed and emo inside. And I was like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, I would do it for you. And I remember him getting like really angry. So like thanks. he was like, I would fucking do it for you. And I was like, okay. And so <laughs> cool. it was weird. And then I remembered he handed me like this line, right? Like a uh, line mm-hmm. that he had set up so I can sniff it. And I did it. And I remembered looking up and it was, I kid you not. It was almost as if he was standing there in a full on like red horns, pointy tail, pitchfork and a fucking paper in my hand. And literally as I sniffed it, my signature just like went on the paper. Holy shit. And it sounds so weird, but that like literally was like in my brain. And that plays a big part of like my story too. And like what I've been writing and how I feel like it ties into it. But, um, basically with what i've been writing yeah yeah um, let's talk about <laughs> right so now that you know all of this shit <laughs> um so yeah basically this dream that i had throughout this experience that i had um i felt helped me really digest a lot of the stuff that i had been holding on to for a while it also helped me understand a lot of what who i am and how i am and why i am the way that i am um and accepting that and not necessarily seeing that as a bad thing and not necessarily seeing it as a crutch, right? Um, and so I started writing because I felt like I had to um, with this dream. And after writing pretty much all of this, like all the time mm-hmm. and everything that it would make me think of, I started to realize that like, oh, wow, like this is not, and it was always my prayer, right? Like to God, I would just be like, I hope that whatever comes of this, someone is better, right, Mm, from this. Whether it be me, whether it be someone else, someone. Let someone be better from this than they were before they started it. Um, And I I don't care if it has – if it's – it might not be me. (laughs) It might be someone else. I might not be better at all after this, but I'm okay if someone else is. And at the end of the day, I feel like that is – that's kind of like the point of my my script in a way um it's the recklessness of man right Mm -hmm. because the reality is is we are all pretty reckless and it's the reckless love of god and it's to show how there's nothing that can stop the love of god and i believe that fully i don't know if you guys believe in god or if you're like Mm -hmm. at all and if you don't that's fine too like i'm not here to judge or anything but the reality of the matter is is that i believe that there is nothing nothing like literally nothing (laughs) that can stop you or keep you from the love of God. And if God so loved the world, right, then there has to be this moment. There has to be this, this thing that clicks for all of us to realize that it's just as much for you as it is for the next person. Mm. Um, And I think that for a lot of times we don't, 
see that like sometimes it's so easy for us to see it for the other person than it is for us i know you asked me earlier like you know and i feel like it's easier for us to see it for other people than it is for ourselves and i think that that's part of why i wanted to write this um because i feel like it is it's a story of this girl who goes into this drug addiction and in the middle of an overdose like she has this fever dream and Mm. this fever dream takes her to this magical almost like a wonderland if you will um and this wonderland she gets lost where she meets god in this wonderland right and she has a conversation with god and she gets distracted and lost from him and she ends up literally trapped in hell um and in the midst of her being trapped in hell she also finds god Mm. and she sees that Mm. it's a matter of it doesn't matter where you are right one hell high water it doesn't matter he's gonna be there with you and also it's a matter of like in this there's a scene there's like this whole freaking thing at the end basically where um it's kind of a moment where they she he tells her like if you want out of here all you have to do is just like pick up the cross that you're on and then tell your friends to do it too because all of my friends are heathens right like it's not just i didn't come for the good ones right like every single one of us that are here in hell right we're gonna do this together we're gonna get out of here together we're gonna break Mm -hmm. out together and so we start stacking up these crosses which we're all like kind of stuck on in hell right Mm -hmm. and we start stacking them up and it starts forming this ladder and it's like this stairway to heaven so to speak and it lights up and we climb up and it almost it's the symbolism is basically like my character in this show um almost becomes the devil right and i remembered being in my addiction and some of those friends telling me like I can't go into have I can't go into church because the building will fall down. It'll burn down right on top of me if I walk into a building like and me thinking, wow, like you must think you're worse than the devil because the devil himself will sit into a church pew and it's still standing because nothing can keep you from mm-hmm. the love of God. And so I would always think of like, how can people think that they're worse than the devil until I went through my addiction? And then it was like, oh, Emily, you are worse than the devil because you witnessed and faced God's glory in front of you and still chose to walk away and still chose to go down this path and still chose to make the decisions that you make despite making, you know, granted you have all this shit or whatever, but again, I don't like to be a victim. So I didn't like to add that to like my reasoning, but, um, yeah, it came down to, it was like, okay, so I have a choice, right? I'm going to either take all of this negative and turn it into a positive and say, oh no, even if I have to write my own way into heaven, even if I have to make a way for the devil himself, I'm going to make sure that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. However you got to do it, right? Like, mm-hmm. And I know that that sounds drastic or maybe dramatic, but I feel like the idea that even in hell, right? Even if you make your bed in hell, cause I have, and I did, and I know that God is still there with you and mm. it doesn't change that. Mm. That alone, I feel like is worth saying to someone. Someone needs to hear that. You know what I mean? I know I needed to hear that. I know how grateful I was for that random lady on the street that day, the insurance agent who was like, you know, I know you don't see it, but God's got a bigger plan. Yeah. You know what I mean? And as much as, it it sounds like so cliche in the moment, right? Because I remember 18-year-old me being like, 
one thank you but also like this bitch don't know nothing right because she doesn't know what i'm going through or she has no idea what i'm facing or she has no always thinking your problem is bigger right or your giant is bigger than whatever and then it comes down to realizing that we are all right because everybody's always like especially in like churches and stuff like that everyone's always like but holier than thou and everyone wants to be better than someone else or everyone's always trying to say that there comes a competition right? right and it comes down to like one no the reality is we're all trash right like every single one of us is trash even on your best day because there's we're never going to be perfect we're never going to be you know what i mean and so it comes down to if the only thing that i ever do on this planet is to tell people not only do i love you despite all of the crap that you've been through and all of the stuff that you do or whatever i love you anyway right unconditionally and that god loves you that same way and to prove that and to be able to tell them like oh no i know i was there i literally witnessed him like save me from the demons that were trying to eat my spirit my entire being alive right. like and as, as it sounds so weird because jeremy who um i said his name <laughs> probably cut that out to be honest we like, bleep it <laughs> that's so funny yikes uh but yeah he no, yeah, um, I'll, I'll make sure i'll make sure we <laughs> he uh <laughs> the he was um the day we actually both got clean together um and i remembered it like it was yesterday i was like we had already gotten kicked out of our hotel we were literally rock bottom had no money had no jobs no nothing and i called my mom who had already kicked me out of the house for do, do, using drugs right and um i called her and i was like look i don't have anywhere to go mm. and i need somewhere to stay mm -hmm. and i'm with jeremy and sorry, <laughs> no yeah it's like it's <laughs> damn <laughs> <Jay>. <laughs> and she's like yeah. so can you oh like God. let him he's not gonna listen to this anyway <laughs> it's like can you um you know like help us out and so yeah. she's like yeah definitely for sure come yeah but she's like but you're not bringing that drug shit at my mm -hmm. house like you're gonna come here you're gonna be clean you're gonna do better and so I, I was like all right cool and at this point i was already at the point where i was like i'm done with this like yeah. i need to be mm -hmm. better right and i had this whole like i was i heard the song um in my blood by the for, for the first time by sean mendez i don't know if you've heard that song before oh, i love no. sean mendez he's so hot <laughs> anyway <laughs> so there's like this song where he's um saying he's like it is in my blood right and i heard it for the first time oh, that song yeah. and it literally is like I heard it and it was, I had this like religious experience in my head where it was so weird, but I saw literally myself in a bathroom, like doing all of these drugs and going in. And then I saw myself look in the mirror, but I wasn't, it, it wasn't me in the mirror. I saw like all of my siblings and everyone that I loved and all the kids that were coming after me doing the same thing, like walking in my footsteps, doing all of these drugs. And it was like horrible. It was like, fuck, this is not what I want at all. And I remembered when mm. the chorus came in and it was like, it isn't in my blood. And literally in my brain seeing jesus knock down this like door in this bathroom that i'm in and like change the entire situation and it was like no because it's not in my blood that's not all of that like doubt all of this unforgiveness all of this mm -hmm. these lies that you're telling yourself are not at all what i've covered you and i've covered you in my blood and yeah. that's what it is and and that's where i found my strength and i remembered going to my mom's house and uh jay and i were literally literally sitting there and I started listening to worship music and I'm like praying and I was like, God's going to get me through this. I know he's going to help me get clean. And mm -hmm. I literally mm -hmm. felt it. I was like, I'm mm -hmm. going to get clean. I'm going to mm -hmm. get sober. I'm not going back. 
And Jay was like, she's fucking crazy. She doesn't know what the fuck she's talking about. This bitch is nuts. And he was like mad, right? Like he was getting so mad that I'm like praying and I'm like worshiping and I was making all this noise in my house and he like slammed the door in my room. He was so mad. And I remembered I opened the door like very calmly and I was like, I don't know who you think you are, but in Jesus name, you don't belong here. And I remembered I just kept praying. I just kept praying. And Jay came back upstairs to the room and I remembered he sat down and I felt it at the same time he did. So this is why I know it was real. Mm -hmm. And when you're like withdrawing from heroin, it literally feels like if you have like demons trying to crawl out of your skin and they're like scratching at you and like trying to literally eat your way through. It's not fun. It's very painful, but it also sucks. And um, I remembered literally at the same time, Jay looked at me and he goes, I can feel the demons leaving my body. Mm. And it was like, I could feel them at the same, like almost like this, like peace, like this calm. Right. And right before that he was pissed and he was mad and he was like flipping out and leaving it. And it wasn't until I was like, you don't belong here in Jesus name. Then he came back in the room and he just laid there and he just looked at me and it was like this really sincere, like moment of like clarity. And he was like, I can literally feel the demons leaving me. And I felt it too. And it was like, okay, good. And I've, I never looked back from that day on. I've been clean. So it was like, wow. Praise do, you, God. do you think about being a mother at all? Ever? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just have my, my nephew who I'm like obsessed with him. I tell my sister uh-huh. I'm his stepson, his, he's my stepson all the time, but no, I don't know. Um, maybe in the right relationship, maybe, I don't know. I don't want to get myself caught up in things that I'm not positive will happen because mm-hmm. i don't even have a relationship let alone like be thinking i'm yeah. you know what i mean because then i'll be all sad and be like i want a baby so bad <laughs> <laughs> and i don't want to do that i want to have if i do ever have a kid i want it to be with someone i love and because we were ready for it and wanted that not i don't want my kid to feel like me where my mom like i ask her and she's like oh you were an accident <laughs> like oh fuck that's so devastating for me <laughs> like oh, i don't want to hear much. that <laughs> Yeah. And so. then, oh yeah. And in, in your writing, would you say that now, uh, earlier in the show, you said you felt discouraged a little bit with writing because it was always something that you did for yourself, writing for yourself. Yeah. And then when you came across the idea of writing for other people and communicating for that, you didn't feel as connected with it anymore. Yeah. Do you still feel the same? As you, as we sit here with your thirty-two-year-old self, I don't, I don't. <laughs> honestly, so I know, right? <laughs> I don't know. It's weird because when I read, like now, right, um, it has gotten to the point with my writing where I can write something and, like, I'll go back in like a day or like an hour to go back and edit it or to just like reread it, yeah. and I'm like, who the fuck wrote this? Mm. And it kind of, I. I attribute that to honestly it's all in God's hands, but also like for me mentally, I feel like I was always trying to find like myself in my writing. And I think that now I'm at this point where it's like, I've found myself. At least I feel not in any way, shape or form that I have arrived. Right. No, (laughs) but more so like I feel comfortable with the person that I am today mm. where I couldn't say that a couple of years ago. I couldn't say that last year. You know what I mean? So it's definitely to the point where I feel now more at ease as far as like my writing, I think has the ability to no, my writing has healed me 
And so I know that there is healing power in my writing because it has helped to heal me, right? Um, and so with that, I feel like it would be selfish of me to say that that healing is only for me. Mm -hmm. Because I'm sure that there's someone like I always, I love music. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I love music because I think music is like that, like where you yeah, hear a yeah, song yeah. and it doesn't matter what you feel. There's a song about it, right? Like totally. it doesn't matter what emotion you're having. There's a song about it. And when you hear that song, you feel connected to that person because those lyrics are speaking your life, yeah, you right? Like Lauren Hill says, like you're like reading them out yeah. letter in front of everybody feel, on the radio. But yeah. yeah, so it's that that feeling of like that connection or that being together. That's that's what I want. That's what I feel like art is supposed to do, and that's what I want to do with my art too. If that answers your question. Yeah. <laughs> When's your birthday? March fifth. I'm a Pisces. Why? I don't know. I just feel like I'm not or. Oh, no, I just always... You're not really into astrology. But, like, I am at the same time. Same. I'm, I'm like, the very same way. Much am. I'm like, I'm not, but I low-key really am. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same. <laughs> Why? When's your birthday? October 8th. Really? Yeah, Wait, what is that? You're Libra, right? Yeah. You know who else was a Libra? Jose. Jose was a yes, Libra. I Did you know? <laughs> I feel it. I feel yeah, the... His birthday's October 18th, actually. I knew it was so close to you. That's so funny. It's like 10 days after you. Star, <laughs> Star Brothers. Like... Astro Brothers. It's like, ah, oh, we were meant to be here yeah. today. Yeah. I love oh, this. Completely. Thank you guys for having me, honestly. Course, I honestly yeah. was uh, super I mean, nervous before. I, I honestly, and it, it's so funny because we talked about this earlier in the episode of how annoying it how annoying it is to put people in a box yeah. and to categorize and have that be the end all be all for right. human souls that are obviously always evolving. Mm -hmm. But throughout this interview I'm like, man, I don't even know what to think about like your <laughs> otherworldly just <laughs> like Oh my gosh, thank I you. No. Oh, how to fucking like, soul warrior like, is oh. what comes to mind. Wait. No, can I tell you? Yeah, warrior like, is a good word. <laughs> low key, warrior is the title of my script. No way. Yeah. I, okay, I did not know that. I know guys. that's so weird. Like, which is why I'm like, not, whoa, yeah, that's so weird. I'm just totally like unfazed right now. <laughs> He's like, yeah, yeah of yeah, course yeah, it is. Of course, oh, fucking so course that. it is. <laughs> Honestly, it's weird because you since think of yourself as one. It is. It's not right. Like I wouldn't at all. Wow. Every mascot for every school I have ever attended since elementary school has been a warrior. Every single school. Sad. And I've been to two different colleges yeah. and they were both the warriors and my high school and my elementary school. And it's like weird. It's just so weird. And it, w it wouldn't be like, I don't think that I am. Like I really wouldn't. I, I do like to say like my favorite Bible verses, like I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Right. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if, if again, if you're familiar at all with the Bible, but like right before that verse, he's talking about like some bad shit. Right. Like, so he's like, but even if when they're good, I can handle that. And when they're bad, I can handle that because I can do all things. Right. And so that yeah. alone is just like, that's my motivation. I think that for me, that's like, that's it, right? That's, like good, yeah. the bad, like yeah. whatever it is, if I can do it, I'm going to do it because that's why I'm here. Like, yeah. To, to me, and that's as much as I can. With your and, story yeah. And your I life. feel like maybe, I don't think, I mean, maybe this is the way God made me for a reason. I don't know if I wasn't like this all the time. I was like really quiet and shy growing up and didn't really talk. Um, but again, it's like weird to see when you feel comfortable, I guess, in yourself, or once you, like, get to that point where it's, like, you s 
stop giving a fuck or you stop trying to put yourself in all these boxes or you stop trying to and you're just like you know what it come what may right like whatever it is whatever happens it's gonna happen for a reason i don't believe in coincidences i think things happen for a reason right so like the fact that i literally never acted before in anything and then decide i was listening to the last five years which is mm. awesome i love that musical it's so great shout out jason, That's robert, such like brown. A jason robert brown it really is love <laughs> jason robert brown so i'm like listening I to it <laughs> and there's it's a like part a, where like, yeah. jeremy jordan is like i got you the the latest copy of backstage and there you're there's a part for you on every page right and part of me was like i want to be that girl like i want to be kathy and you fucking did it like honestly so i literally that day right i started a back page backstage page and i'm like all right fuck it i did it found dog food and when i tell you i thought it was a scam right up until and i tell you i told everybody this at on set too i literally thought i was gonna get sex trafficked until the moment like i saw there were actual cameras and i was yeah. like oh wait oh. this is real right because the the call thing was like okay we're looking for girls who um could run an only fan page <laughs> or like, that was the description. like it was literally like she's the character is an only fans page she has only fans and she likes to sell her body for sex and drugs and i was like oh, i've been there i could yeah. do that i could totally do that so i was like um yeah sure <laughs> vincent's a genius <laughs> this guy this <laughs> But yeah, it was. This it guy was found the people. One, he really did. And once I show you this picture too, you're gonna be like fucking dumbfounded. You're gonna be like, "Well, that's really weird," because it, again, he didn't know me from a hole in the wall. He didn't know my story at all. Mm-hmm. He reached out, and I saw this like thing, right? And I remember telling my mom when I saw the description, and I was like, "Whoa." I saw this ad on backstage and there's literally this movie that's being made that sounds really close to my life, right? It sounds really weird and um, part of me wants to do it. And she's like, fuck it, just try it. Like, you know, go for it, whatever. What do you have to lose? Yeah, and so I did it. He emails me back and he's like, oh yeah, no, I think you would be great for this role. I want you to try and I'm going to send you some sides and I want you to... And I didn't think anyone would even take me serious because I literally didn't... I had like one picture i think in my profile and it literally has <laughs> sorry the picture that i have literally is like this t-shirt that i have with an ice cream a chocolate <laughs> ice cream cone taking a dump and reading a newspaper <laughs> I love it. it's literally on my t-shirt and that was the picture in my profile that's picture from my so backstage cool. past that vincent fucking was like that. she's the one that's the one we're gonna use spunk you just so got spunk. yeah I, and i had pink hair too so i think spunk that was it spades. <laughs> like i think abby gave me she picked me because of the pink hair <laughs> she was like we want her but yeah um other than that i was like uh this is weird i don't know how this is gonna work and i showed up and i fell in love with every single one of them they were awesome amazing so yeah and you would do it again a hundred percent yeah i would live with them if i could all of them they were so great oh but like you you would act oh again. yeah no 100 percent. oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> he's like wait then you will it's like yeah no i definitely hope i mean hopefully right like that's the goal yeah Everybody but like to... i don't know i think <laughs> I don't know. I just think we could do anything with the lives that we've lived so far. A hundred percent. I'm honestly, I want to come back next week so we can do this. And I just ask you guys a bunch of questions because I feel like, like I feel like Joe dirt right now. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know who that is to be honest. You've never seen that movie. Oh man. Joe dirt. Jill dirt. Joe dirt. 
Oh, yeah, no. No? Uh, it's a David Spade movie. It's really funny. And so it's this guy, he works in, or he, like, works at a radio station. And um, the Bill Mayer, I think is his name, yeah, or yeah. something like that. He's, like, has a podcast, and he's working. And this guy's is the janitor, right? And he just happens to be the janitor. Oh. He's walking around. I've definitely seen this movie. They start asking yeah. him all these questions. They give him an interview. They, cool, they have him there for like freaking three days or like the whole week just telling he's his life story of his like fucked up ass life and all the shit he's been through and all the stuff. And they're just like, people are calling and they're like, we love you, Jelter. <laughs> so yeah, that's great. That's Damn. You should watch it. It's a great movie. <laughs> yeah. But ugh, God, um, I don't even know what to... Like, yeah, I, I, still, I would love to hear any of your work. Like we, we, we're gonna. Do you want to record that now? Yeah, yeah. Let's record it now. Oh yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um. Oh shit! I probably should have been looking for one. Oh okay. yeah, it's cool. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna read the prologue, which cool. is basically the dream. It's a description of the dream, right? And remind us yeah. and everybody who's listening of the type of show this is, yeah, or sure. yeah, because we talked about it before, but sure. So um, this is. A piece or a snippet of Warrior, which is a script that I am working on, which tells the story of a drug-addicted woman and this fever dream that she goes through for redemption. Right, right, right. Um, And so this is the prologue. Yeah. I'm in my bed, except it's not quite my bed. It's much larger than I remember. Everything is. But still, I'm in my bed. I begin to see myself lift up. I fight this. It scares me almost to my core to feel my body move involuntarily towards the ceiling. I feel my body moving against me, trying to turn me every which way. It terrifies me. And below me, I see Jay in our bed that we never actually shared a day in our lives. It's not our bed. Yet there he lays. Does he not feel my body missing from beside him? I would. Or would I? I reach to beg him for help but my body still fights against itself and gravity as I continue to fly high. I must be at least 30 feet above my bed, still. My ceilings aren't this high, are they? Still, I can't see the top of that. Hey, when did we get that bookshelf? How many shelves is that? At least 200. I'm still fighting. I'm begging for whatever it is to finally let me go. It does, and down I fall towards Jeremy's sleeping weight. That's not Jeremy. Wait, that wolf looks really angry just as it lunges towards my limp and falling carcass because surely I'm dead meat. I see it, clearly. Big, dark, empty eyes, teeth for days, a flaming tail that doesn't seem to end, and he just gets closer. His mouth is huge as he looks to devour my entire body completely in just one massive gulp. And suddenly, I wake up, and it's like, I get it. I see everything so clearly. All the problems had solutions. All the mysteries finally unveiled before me. I got it, except I didn't. Mm. And with that, I love you. <laughs> I love you guys. Thank you for having me. Of course, yeah. Yay, I'm so glad I did this. I was really nervous to come today. Why? I was super nervous, honestly. I, I mean, it's like you, crippling you don't usually fear and anxiety. Truth, or, and when you do, it's. I always... I think it's yeah, like it doesn't always go well, yeah. right? And also, like, I'm trying to do this thing now where if I think it's gonna make me happy, 
like do it right like despite all of the questions and the fear and all the doubt that like you have with it just do it so like I did that with dog food because I was really nervous with that like as crazy as that sounds like even I was sending my mom like the location before I pulled into the parking lot like okay I'm here if I don't text like, you in five text minutes like, like five yeah minutes, 100% yeah. and my mom was even like when I got back she was like no I thought you were really scared because you wow. were being weird because you're never you never do that and it was mind you it was like the greatest experience i loved it but it was just the idea that in my head like damn like i just don't know yeah like and i'm so used to the worst case scenario happening that now i'm like i don't want to focus on the worst case scenario please don't tell me what your worst case scenario is going to be because i've dealt with those and i don't like them so i'm going to focus on the good things in hopes that i see more of those instead of all of the other ones that i keep focusing on well (laughs) <laughs> what a perfect way to cap off this episode yeah. I love that, you so that. much thank <laughs> you for coming you. out tonight thank, thank you, for you sharing guys your no heart. seriously um, thank you so much for having me I'm honestly like this was amazing I'm so glad I came thank you I love you so much <laughs> <laughs> no because in all honesty it's like and I aren't the only people who are going through stuff like this yeah. you know oh, 100% I think it's I think what you guys are doing and giving this platform like and allowing people to do this is amazing and it's beautiful. And the fact that one that you even let me hear like this crazy husband, (laughs) thank you. But also like seriously, what you guys are doing in New York city, right? Like the hardest, like if you think of cities when it comes to like grit and grime, you think of New York, right? And the fact that you are finding a heart in this city and mm. you're like allowing the heart to beat and you're not like mm-hmm. stifling that and making it quiet or like shushing it you're allowing it to be loud and you're allowing it to be heard and you're allowing it to be real and raw and that's good that's beautiful mm-hmm. that's what people need that's exactly what we need especially now especially now and like people are so dark and everything is so yikes and no yeah. one knows what's gonna happen and nobody knows what tomorrow looks like and no one like nobody the idea that like that's okay and that you're not alone and that you're doing this and you still have people who care about you and who are here like oh this is amazing like thank, thank you for you guys that, are stuck um, with me by the way I like i'm gonna just you. be like rooting in your corner forever happily <laughs> thank you <laughs> I'm going to always be, like, cheerleading in your corner yeah, yeah, now. Yeah. Yay. And as soon as Broadway opens, you got to be marching down these streets. Oh, like, I have a music, I have a play or You a know it. I'm like, honestly, I was so sad. You guys are going to need to hear. You, uh, you're going to think this is going to sound so crazy, right? But, like, last year, I had wrote, and the year before that, I wrote a list of, like, time things, the things I wanted to get done. Because when I got sober, I was like all right, let's not waste no more fucking time, right? Right. Like, let's do things. So I started, like, trying to focus on lists. I'm not a list person. Again, I suck. My sister's a really good list person. She's always trying to get me into it. Um, So I was, like, trying, right? And I wrote this little list of, like, I was already writing my script, and I wanted to reach out to people for, like, help. And I wrote a bunch of, like, celebrities on the list, like, people who I really thought would, like, yeah, Shawn Mendes. People I love, right? <laughs> Bruno Mars, Shawn Mendes. Bruno Mars, like, Shawn Mendes. <laughs> right. But then I also was, like, seriously, like, who do I look up to, like, talent-wise, right? Yeah. So Spike Lee, Lin- Lin-Manuel Miranda, right? Anthony Ramos. Mm-hmm. So I'm, like, I love those people. I think they're mm-hmm. so great. Um, and so I'm, like, writing down these names, right? So last year... Um, I, I actually started a YouTube channel. This is like probably over your time. Sorry. <laughs> but uh, I started a YouTube channel and literally like that week, Anthony Ramos 
I got like free tickets to his album release party, which I thought was so cool out here. And I was like, whoa, that's fucking dope. I met Spike Lee that night, which I thought was insane. I was like, what the fuck? I love Spike Lee. (laughs) And Do the Right Thing was the first movie I ever saw in my film class. And I was like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Like, I want to do the right thing for the rest of my life. (laughs) Like Spike. But yeah, so that was like huge for me. And I was like, oh, this is so great. And then I wrote, I had sent in like a little snippet of my script um including the prologue i just read to you guys to lin-manuel miranda on his website like there's like a part if you want to write with him and like, yeah, oh, yeah. so i did because i thought it was cool and i did and he actually wrote back to me which was like insane and he wrote me a letter on his like little letterhead and i was like crying in my house going through it because i love him and it was just like basically like like keep going like you're good like don't these are all droplets yeah he was like you to keep going he was like don't stop like and what was so weird right is like the day i got the lin-manuel miranda letter there was um an interview that i saw of him on tv and he's literally just like talking about jonathan larson who was a huge inspiration to him Mm. and how he's Mm -hmm. saying how like you know sometimes you can feel really discouraged and like things are not going your way or like you really want to give up and then like you get this little piece of motivation from someone who really inspires you and it's just like keep fucking going like just yeah. don't stop and i got this letter from him that same day and i'm like okay lynn oh, i will keep fucking going yeah. you got it <laughs> wow. so yeah i don't know it was like weird and then i wrote that all in that last year and then this year i was like let me not be so like uh, granted it worked right i guess because i wrote down those names and i was able to meet them thank you jesus for making that way but this year i was like i don't want it to be about people right like i just want it to be like send me who you need me to meet right like and so i made it more about like this journey and the list that i was making wasn't so much about like oh i want to reach out to all these people it was like you're gonna send me people that i need for this for this for this like not that i'm gonna search for them but you're gonna send them like literally send them to me like drop them at my doorstep and it's gonna sound so weird and people are gonna think i'm crazy because it's gonna be that insane but that's what i want because then they're gonna know it was you right and so i was like adamant on this and so when dog food came up and the fact that i was like this literally landed on my lap out of nowhere, out of nowhere. And it's so good. And it's so like, and it's so real and it's so close to home. And And it's really weird. you killed the shit, bro. Like you were It was, it was very, like, I was very nervous for that because it was literally reliving fucking traumatic ass events of my life. And we did 21 takes of that that scene, scene. which was very, very rough. But Matisse was fucking phenomenal as a, as like a scene partner. Absolutely amazing. And, he made me feel very comfortable to the point where I was like, I never felt like I was actually in that situation. Right. I just felt like I it was, was rape, good enough to be able scene, to act in this situation. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you're wondering, it was a rape scene. Yes. Um, so in that scene, it was, I thought it was going to be very, really scary and like traumatic. And my mom was like nervous for me to do it. And like before she was like, are you sure? Like, this is a lot. When she heard the script, she was like, what? You're going to be doing this? And I was like, I kind of feel like I have to because I did it before without any cameras on, without anyone knowing. And it hurt and it was painful and it took me down a really bad path. And maybe now if I can do it, even though it's not real, pretend and put it in front of a camera someone else will see it and it'll stop them from going down the same path you know that's fucking yeah. acting that's the only You're thing we can with writing right. with acting with directing that we tell these stories 
for somebody someone, to stick right? to right? Like, someone and, hear it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But even that, even if it's one person, you know. Right, 100%. And I think that that's what it... I think sometimes we get so caught up in the numbers and we get so of caught course. up in, like, the bigness of it. Because the culture makes right, it so. Right, right. You know? 100%. Right. Like, it's you need it to survive, right? So you have to need money. But I, I don't ever want to get to the point where I lose my art. You're selling it. Right. Like, I don't want to sell... You're selling it. And yourself. I think that that's a part of, like, why I'm so like protective of my work because it is very personal and it is very like close to home and I never want to feel like I'm selling I never want to feel like that cashmere sweater again <laughs> just being used and abused <laughs> no yeah I don't know yeah well thank you for sharing yeah. it with us God bless you thank man. you oh, I love you so much I love yeah. you thank you guys no, let's go yeah. get some pizza <laughs> let's get some pizza and a drink <laughs> yeah <laughs> But yeah, guys, wait, so yeah, so that's our episode of Through the Mic. We hope you enjoyed and catch you for the next yeah, one. Well, yeah, oh, 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 yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. We have an Instagram now. Yes, We're yes, yes. trying to be better at uh, promoting our show. <laughs> um, yeah, 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 it's so. at the Mike Pod on Instagram. That's at the Mike Pod. Yeah, so go check it out for new updates and all that jazz. But oh, until then, here at Gotham Studios, my name is Malcolm. I'm Will. Peace and love, y'all. Love <laughs> this episode of Through the Mic was recorded, mixed, edited, and hosted by Will Aaron Cohen and Malcolm Callender. Thank you to everybody who made this show possible. We wouldn't be able to do it without you. If you like the show, share it with your friend. Let's keep the conversation going.